Hey, Tyler. You're a lot farther away from me than you normally are. So far away from me. Between us, we're going to be forming a big horror junkie sandwich here in a, in a few minutes. We are, and we got some guys who are going to be part of the stuffing, which is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are definitely going to get stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is episode 78 of Fried Squirms. And this week we are going to do a commentary for Pet Cemetery, and that will be starting soon with our good friends Patrick and Justin. Yeah, this is one we've been building up for a while. We've had to push back this particular commentary for a while, but for good reasons. Well, I was going to say, we didn't mean to build it up for so long, but shit happened. Life not, happens. Not shit. Good shit, but shit. <laughs> no, you're right. There's been births, there's been family that has come to visit. And everything in between. So now we've all had the time to come together and, yeah, we'll get to do a nice commentary on this. Yeah, we're going to finally fucking get to it. So this week we're going to kind of just jump right in. We're going to get a couple of the minutia, the guts and bolts in really quick, name off some names. And then hopefully those other guys will be showing up and we'll start getting into this a little bit more proper. So guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. said this time around pet cemetery 1989 movie it is 1989 it was shot here in the united states had to be shot yes it (laughs) did states uh stephen king required that it be shot in maine most of the places named in this movie are real though they're not the real distances from each other that they are portrayed that is correct yeah and that's going to be kind of a fun little tidbit to talk about a little bit later on but yeah this is a stephen king adapted movie from his novel that was written in the 80s, and it took a while before he actually put it out. And once again, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But we're familiar with Stephen King. This is not the first time we've delved into one of his works. We've covered it, the 1990 version, and we did a little bit of a spoiler-free version of the 2017 it. Right. And we will be doing that again when the second part comes out. Yeah, and we've mentioned some of the casts that have been included in the new one, and you know they're actually in the middle of shooting it right now, so that's exciting as well. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, by this time, I would hope a lot of our listeners and just people familiar with horror would be familiar with Stephen King's works. I agree. So who do we have in this one? Okay, so I'll start kind of like we do every week. We'll keep it abbreviated, of course, until the boys get here. But our director on this film is Mary Lambert. She's more known for doing work in music videos. This was actually her second film. And because of her work in music videos, that kind of gave her the nod for this. She was kind of the flavor of the month, as she said, Mm -hmm. during that time period. So yeah, of course, Stephen King, he helped write this screenplay and, of course, the novel. Our cinematographer on this is Peter Stein. He's done some work in horror films, which is kind of neat. I'll mention some of those credits a little bit later on. We have two editors on this film. These guys tend to work together on a lot of Ron Howard films. And those two gentlemen are Daniel P. Hanley and Mike Hill. The music on this was done by Elliot Goldenthal. This is actually the first movie that he composed the music for. 
Along with that, we have some special effects people on this team that we've actually covered before. So two of those people are David Leroy Anderson. He was responsible for the special effects makeup on this. And his father, Lance Anderson, was the special effects makeup designer. Now, the reason I said we've covered these guys before is because of their work on Cabin in the Woods. And the reason why is because Heather Langenkamp, mm-hmm. better known as Nancy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, she is the wife of Dave Anderson, which is kind of neat. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but he actually proposed to her during the filming of this movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of neat. Our producer on this is Richard P. Rubenstein. Production companies were Paramount Pictures. They helped present it. And Laurel Productions, they were uncredited. And I'll mention the reason why Laurel is in this film. Our distributors were Paramount. They helped with the 1989 USA theatrical release in Universal International Pictures. We've mentioned them before. They're better known as UPI. They helped with the 1989 United Kingdom theatrical release. The release date was April 21st, 1989 here in the States. And November 17th, 1989, which was a day before my 8th birthday in the United Mm -hmm. Kingdom. Yeah. I guess I can kind of briefly go over the budget. It had a roughly $11.5 million budget. Opening weekend, it made a little over $12 million. It grossed $57.5 million. And when you include the video rental, video rental alone, they had like $27.5 million. So they raked in over $80 million in the box office and video. I mean, and they're continuing to do so too because there's a reason like this Blu-ray got released for instance, that we're about to put on. It just keeps going, and they make sure that every now and then it gets re-released so that we can keep watching it. And I'm quite all right with that. There are several taglines. I don't know if we want to kind of get into them quite yet. We can kind of hold off. I think we're going to hold off. Okay. I want to try to make the boys guess the taglines. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so we'll reserve that. Yeah, we can kind of briefly mention some of the names that are in the cast. We'll mention who they are and what role they play, and then we'll kind of reserve some of their film credits for a little bit later on. So the first person I want to mention is Dale Midkiff. He plays Louis Creedy's the father of the family in this film. I guess we can kind of talk about the family probably first, and then we'll kind of mm-hmm. get into some Move of the other characters. Yeah, exactly. So along with Dale Midkiff, we have Denise Crosby. She plays Rachel Creed. She's, of course, the mother in this film. Rachel Goldman Creed. That's true, yeah. Good point. Now, we do have two people who played one role in this film, but the one who kind of gets more of the credit is Blaze Birdall. She plays Ellie Creed in this film. Now, her sister, her twin sister, Bo, was credited as Ellie, too. She was more, I guess, doing for, like, some of the action shots. I'll mention some of the reasons why later on. But another kid that we have in this film is Miko Hughes. He plays Gage Creed in this film. And he was not quite three yet for this film, which I thought was kind of neat. We have Fred Gwynn. He plays Judd Crandall. He's their next-door neighbor in this film. We have Susan Blumert. She plays Missy Dandridge. She's kind of like the housemaid, I suppose. Yeah, she's the maid. I have two parents. You did mention the Goldmans. The first person I'll mention is Michael Lombard. He plays Erwin Goldman. That's Rachel's dad in this film. And Mary Louise Wilson. She plays Dory Goldman, which is the mother of Rachel in this film. And there's another actor. I don't oh, want to no, quite no, mention I, it. I think, I no, let's just say it because, I mean, it's cool. Okay. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. Not really. You know, I, it's not a spoiler. No, because the I mean. The fact that it's a gentleman playing it. Yeah. So this person is Andrew Hubitzek. He plays Zelda in this film, which is the sister of Rachel. Right. 
So outside of that, there was a lot of local Maine actors because it was shot in Maine. We kind of alluded to that. So I didn't really mention them because this is their only screen appearance for pretty much and uh, really self-evident reasons. I was going to say, how much do they really show up? Like when I think about this Very movie, little. it's hard for me to even think of any characters outside of who you all just named. You know, that's a good point. Most of it's just in flashback sequences. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much where the town folk kind of come into play. And a few oh, at the airport. Right, yeah. But that's about it. Oh, like yeah. I, said, very I forgot that there was different people in those flashbacks. Yeah, no big deal. But I'll kind of talk about them a little bit once we get to that part. But yeah, that pretty much rounds out cast and crew without getting too much into their catalog. I'm just like champing at the bit to find out what the boys have to say about this. So we're going to kick back for a second. They're going to show up and we're going to start talking about this a little bit more. Oh, probably. yeah. And then we can really divulge into this film. All right. This is Tyler. Before everything gets started, I just wanted to sort of say sorry and give a little warning. Towards the very end of us watching the movie, uh, there was a spot with a technical malfunction and we end up having to resync it. I do give you a, like a timestamp and where we're we're starting from again, but we lose about 2 minutes of the movie. It's not till there's about 15 minutes left anyway. Up until that point you're golden. But I just wanted to warn you before you guys got into it. So everybody's shown up now. I'm going to leave it up to Danny how to edit that part cuz it's been oh, long enough for like a minute. Boys are back in town. That's all they need to know. So, welcome back into the studio, even though it's not the normal studio. It's comfy out here. Yeah. Like we it. have both Patrick back. Hey. And Justin. How you doing? How's it been going, guys? Great. I'm finished on my battle axe. Yeah. We had a little bit of confusion before the episode. As you know, we're a part of a TV series, Jafar, and Danny used the acronym Jafar. Jafar, recording at five. And So, so I yeah. figured it meant... Right. episode. Justin showed up in character. Sunshine Lewis here with us. <laughs> so we've got two, an additional character. Had Sunshine Lewis shown up the last time you came on the show? Or was it before Sunshine Lewis actually showed up on Jafar? I think it was before that. Yeah, before the Sunshine Lewis. Event Horizon? Yeah. Yeah, it was before the actual Sunshine Lewis character being filmed and actualized in real life. Right, so if you only remember Justin from listening to him on the episode... Because we assume that you just listen to us all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go check out Jafar and you can actually see his wonderful face. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, harp playing skills. Yeah. More it's normal. hot out, guys. It is. We're going to be a little bit warm in here, too, because I don't have air conditioning. That's okay. It'll put us in a nice, uncomfortable mood for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, about this movie, we decided to leave a little bit of the heavy lifting to you guys. What would you guys, I want you guys to give us the synopsis, spoiler-free synopsis for this movie. Try to sell the audience oh, on it if they have never seen it before. Me or you, Justin? Dysfunctional love? That proper theme? Yeah. Well, not just a theme. Like, oh, give synopsis? me a synopsis. Spoiler-free synopsis. All right, okay. Oh, I'm going to let Patrick take care of this one. He's great at this. Oh, I didn't write anything. <laughs> I know, because I'm just springing it on no, you. No, I'm just joking. I did. Like, <laughs> I was thinking about this. Let's see. <laughs> he did. Young doctor and his wife, two small children, just moved into a new town, basically in an idyllic house on the hill, bordering the mountains in the countryside of Maine, with an unfortunately infamous deadly logging highway running alongside their property. They have one neighbor who's lived forever and mentions the dangerous highway immediately, that there's an entire cemetery of pets located nearby, 
and that Lewis learns is a significant place with all sorts of possibilities. I like it. Very ominous. Yeah, so... We all know this is a Stephen King movie. What do you guys consider to be the draws to this movie? Like, for yourself? Like, Whether is it's it the fact that it's a Stephen King movie? Is that what draws you? Or what was it about this movie that sort of just brought it to your attention the first time? I just remember watching it when I was much younger. Because this came out in 89. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't see it in theaters. But I remember going on like a horror film kind of kick. And then going through Stephen King. And I think I mentioned this on the last one where it's starting with Stephen King stuff. So, to be honest, the appeal was... Stephen King for me. Right. I think I also mentioned in one of our times or both of our times talking that my brother was the enabler, if you, <laughs> I, you could say, introducing me to all these horror films. And yeah, Pet Cemetery is, of course, in, in the holy trinity of horror films in my book. It's ruled and terrified my childhood, my upbringing shaped me. So I'd say, yeah, the draw, I mean, and still to this day, like as watching as an adult, it, it's just creepy, like in every essence. You know, if you're looking for a good, straightforward, creepy, downward spiral, this captures it. So, yeah. What about you, Danny, since we haven't went into this yet? For me, I was... You probably all have longer histories with this movie than me. Yeah, I go back because I mentioned a little bit in our Guts and Bolts that in the United Kingdom, this came out a day before my eighth birthday. So when video rental came around, I probably saw it when I was about 9, 10, maybe 11, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. Same thing. It was one of those films for a particular reason that kind of stuck with me, certain scenes in general. So this one has been a part of my movie viewing experience from a young age. It's definitely not my formal introduction to Stephen King. I didn't really know him by name at a younger age. This might have been more getting into that foray of understanding who he was, his importance to the horror genre as a whole. So yeah, my siblings and I, this is one that we enjoy. This is one, anytime I think of Stephen King adapted novels into film this is definitely one that jumps out to me his first right screenplay that he had yeah from what i understand i mean you know when you look back at some of the films that he's i don't know if you would consider like well it's not the first film that's been adapted, adapted from, from from a book but, but maybe the screenplay one that he did yeah yeah that would make sense and that's why he had such a hand on it and was so like very integral this yeah is the first one where he actually appears in his films yeah so this is the it first is, one of it is it mm, I don't know if Creepshow came out before this, because he was in Creepshow. I mean, it was part of a segment. Oh, okay, then. I'm not sure if he was in anything else. I mean, maybe. Mm. That's a good question, actually. Langoliers. So is this, Danny, is it the first, or this isn't the first Stephen King film that you saw then? No, I was just thinking, I probably had seen Running Man before this. Yeah. I had seen Cujo. I had seen... It's an Emilio Estevez film. I, can't, I just can't. Uh, Maximum, Maximum Overdrive. Overdrive yeah. yeah. So there was a few I'd seen prior to that. I think Carrie and stuff like that too. So. Yeah. It's funny because growing up, all I knew about Stephen King was that he was just this like basically Satan. Like I thought he was bas- just churning out <laughs> horror novels. You yeah. know, you saw the commercial on TV advertising his books, and they had all these clips from his movies. You know, like Pet Cemetery and It, and that really just like that captured the essence of Stephen King to me. It was just this horrific dude producing nightmares. And yeah, Pet Cemetery was probably one of the first ones I saw, along with It, you know, and Pennywise and Zelda <laughs> in tandem just kind of ruled my nightmares. Yeah, there was already some figures mm-hmm. that struck a chord. Yeah. How about yourself, Tyler? I mean, I'm not trying to be different, but I didn't come to Pet Cemetery until like my teens. And that was mostly because I caught a little clip of it on like TNT or something around Halloween. And noticed Fred Gwynn was in it. 
And I loved the monsters growing up mm. on like Nick at Night and shit. Absolutely. And I was like, oh my god, it's fucking Herman Munster. I need to check this out. <laughs> so and crazy. then went through it. And it's not one that I ever really rewatched often. I've only seen it maybe twice before this, honestly. Oh. And then nothing against it. It was just there was always other movies that I kind of went to first. Like how you said you saw it on TV or on TNT. I feel like it was a very TV friendly horror. Like they were always showing this. Like that's where I saw it most of the time was just in the afternoon, high high noon on USA, you know. Yeah, it was very accessible during that the height of like the cable yeah. era. So yeah, I mean there was one I watched over my grandmother several times, whether it was on the weekends or during the summer. So this one was a staple as far as horror films for me. Yeah, and it's like clearly a horror film. They're like, yeah, okay. Three to four is going to be a horror film. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of wondering. One of, That's one of the things when I was rewatching through it to take the little bit of notes I did, though. I'm not sure now how I saw it on TV because I'm not sure what they cut thinking back because they would have had to cut parts that's what of i was going to ask yeah there's no way they would have shown it as is unedited well i mean the, like just a couple of the practical effects right oh yeah I, would uh, imagine. Okay. I imagine they didn't show the i you know but i feel like i remember the conversation between pascal and lewis you no know? there were certainly things like that that weren't too they showed the violence but they didn't show yeah. like the how it got there like, without they, getting into too much detail yeah there are certain scenes i can see where they probably edited out for obvious reasons. Yeah, are we, well, this are, might be a good... Let's just do our warning, then. If we, you've never seen this before, we can just get into the movie here in a second, and we'll just... Like, what would you guys say? Warning Content wise. warning. Content. Going into Pet Cemetery for the first time, if you've I, never yeah, seen it. I, You know, I just it's, say... Yeah, go ahead. I would say, yeah, it's well done. It's not CG. It's actual... Practical, practical effects. Practical effects, yeah. so it's going to look pretty good, yeah. for sure. You're going to see some violence, but nothing over the top. There is one... Uh, good like, gore shot yeah there's one good gore shot i think i mean and it sticks with you and that's i feel like because it's just sprinkled in there you know it's the one time we see like some actual violence and it's hard to look at yeah. i thought uh, it was harder to look at the practical effects that were done on zelda oh yeah that uh, i thought was just hard to look there's at. There's some yeah so there's some illness like some dark family secret illness and some disturbing yeah some ethical some moral issues we've got child death unfortunately yeah so Uh, if you're not if if you're not yeah if you're not comfortable and and, you know child death is hard for me to watch that part gets me every time i mean a little bit of a running theme now the last time you came on and did a commentary with us it was a downward spiral movie and this is very much another downward spiral for would you say people in the series is a downward spiral the last time you were on for a commentary. Oh, which was right. Shining. Shining, yeah. Shining was downward spiral, but it had an uplifting twist where I don't feel that way about this one. No. no. This one is... No, this, this ending's is, this, a lot this, more... This doesn't leave you warm and fuzzy on No, it, it nosedives into its... Uh, yeah, this is a study of the family dynamic. You know, how does a family deal with tragedy? What are the consequences of people's actions? Yep. And... You know, if you're not comfortable with elements of the supernatural, things of the, just the spirit world in general, if you don't like the woods, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I stuff like, like that. If you don't like the woods, if you don't like animals. Yeah, there is some animal violence, although there were no animals harmed in the, fa- <laughs> yeah. the making of this film. Yeah. If you don't like rogues. There is a part where you're like, how did they do that without yeah. hurting that animal? That's I can kind of get into that, that for you guys. When you're watching this you may be actually terrified to think that they're really doing what they're doing to animals. Also, with the child actors, you're like, okay, how did this child actor go through such a disturbing film and not be affected by this? 
And that happens when they shoot it. They shoot these movies specifically so that child actors don't know they're acting in a horror film. And they never put them in compromising situations where it's going to psychologically impact them in a negative way. Didn't The Exorcist not go through that? Probably not. There was a point. Okay. <laughs> they, they they drew the line, but... Well, there was also a point in movies where they weren't making sure to not hurt animals. Right, too. exactly. Just like they started... They, these people yeah, started getting some oversight, you know, but... Because uh, a lot of people were like, this kid's really young and plays a really terrible demonic role. But when you go back and watch it and you... After hearing that they use, like, a doll for some action scenes, it's pretty apparent. Right. It, it kind of dampens the effect after the fact. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, we'll Going delve in, into it can be that. kind of a rough ride, I would say. That's yeah, what I mean. It's definitely one of the scarier ones. It's a Absolutely. tense movie because of the family dynamic. So Absolutely. If you don't like studies or films that showcase emotions and how, like I said, how it impacts families because of a tragedy then this is a film that's going to probably hit a real striking nerve with a lot of people. He, absolutely. Drakes a nerve for me every time. Yeah, so, you know, I think the older I get, the more I can appreciate the fact that this is a, a study on that, that dynamic. So. And I think it's just also, it hits really well because it's just so genuine to Stephen King's story, like of his life, basically. Yeah. Although it's, you know, symbolized through creatures and monsters. Course, he was there's still a humanization of it. Yeah, you know, a struggling dad trying to preserve, you know, a perfect a, family a perfect family in a moral or not in a moral in a mortal world basically. Trying, trying to hold up that facade. That yeah, exactly. Okay. Especially when he was on the spiral that he was on and being in complete denial of it. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll stop this really quick. I'll get it saved and we'll pop into the movie. Justin, I know that you'll have to pop out halfway through, but we'll just do it organically and they'll have to listen to your ass leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're filming what? Are we filming? <laughs> well, it's recording, but that's the beauty of editing right now. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So you can see at least a little bit of the movie. For the audience, we're back. <laughs> Hello. Welcome uh, we back. We haven't started it yet. We're about to start up the Blu-ray copy of Pet Cemetery provided by Danny for Yay. this occasion. So, Which is way different than the VHS version yeah. that you watched. <laughs> <laughs> Resolution-wise, way different. Yeah, we come to a way different resolution at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. it ends um, literally it ends on cloud nine and uh no yeah sorry so uh good luck i'll tell you as i hit play so you can try to sync up with us and hopefully this ends up being even half as interesting as the shining one <laughs> i think it's going to be i think, it's, ar- I think it's already been but i think so too all right so i'm hitting play it's playing black screen Here's the, the restricted R rating. So for any of my nephews listening, it is rated R, so you can't watch it. That's yep. the first thing they always ask. Is it rated R? <laughs> well, that's a good thing to ask. No, I mean, you know? I know. It's just, I think it's, it's cute and it's funny. Here's the Paramount logo. We are watching with the sound off so that we yeah, can talk over it. So since well, this opening has like a bit of music plays and there's not a whole lot. Yeah, All right, so uh, Paramount, they got a hold of this. Because one of the ladies that worked at another studio, she had left NBC Studios back in 85. She joined um, Paramount, right? She became a, a studio Paramount executive. Paramount Pictures presents Richard B. Rubenstein production. Sorry, I'm just making sure they can sync it up. She out. basically <laughs> wanted to make this into a film for the longest time. And everybody was turning her down because they felt like Stephen King was kind of like, Dale like forget it, right? So anyhow, there was a writer strike in 88 Fred from the Lee. WGA. And she pitched it. She's like, look, this is already written. We don't need writers. This is perfect the way it is. 
Denise and Crosby. they picked it up. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I read that he had, after Stephen King wrote this, you know, he wrote this very reflective of the time and place he was in, showed it to his friends and family. They hate it. They thought it was way too dark. Too dark. They were like, this is not the time or place for this movie, so he shelved it. Yeah. For a bit. And he kept it in his drawer for a while, is what he said. He said this is actually one of the few books that actually scared him. So it took a while before he actually published it. It was the last book published by Doubleday that he was a part of what because he that? went to Viking. This was sometime in the 80s. Skunk. Let's <laughs> say um, like early 80s, right? Um, so long story short, the person who actually picked this up was George Romero. He bought the rights for $10,000. I was mentioning Laurel Stewart Entertainment. Designer. Right? Uh, no, she's got some interesting credits. Uh, but no, uh, George Romero was actually slated to direct this Prison. because he was too busy with monkey shines. He couldn't do it. And because I was mentioning Mary Lambert, she was yeah. the flavor of the week during that time period because of her work on music videos, specifically with like Janet Jackson and with Madonna she, primarily. She got the nod. She met Stephen King in New York and they hit it off and... The rest yeah. is history. I think it's incredible that um, she's Becker. never. Hello, Sniffer. She never filmed a. Um, or was film. responsible for a horror film. So yeah. Know. So she Man came in with a very genuine approach. And I was going to mention right here that from the get go, the sound design um, with the mainly dramatic piano and strings and the children reading their pets' epitaphs off the grain or off the graves just sets the tone. It certainly does. Um, super unsettling and creepy. Little factoid: One of the kids is Ooh, Jonathan, Jonathan Brandis. Brandis. I knew that. He is a young no Bill and yeah. it. And you were mentioning Never Ending Story. Yeah, wasn't yeah. he in like the first or second one? Ladybugs, yeah. Jonathan yes. Brandis. Yeah, it's yes. him. <laughs> a little kid though. He's reading one talk, of the epitaphs, talking about his little goldfish guys, or somebody. Don't rewatch Ladybugs, by the way. It's creepy. Dude. Two of the headstones. Well. Yeah. Two of the headstones in this film. You get the Biffer Biffer. He was a good sniffer, whatever. Hello, That's sniffer. from out of the novel. Yeah, and Smucky, which is actually it was Stephen King's daughter's. Uh, cat who got ran over yeah and so they paid homage to that particular cat and that kind of helped spark this film a little bit there's a scene much later we'll get to which was the inspiration behind this film do you guys miss three minute opening sequences like this uh, called opening it's yes. one of the first uh i it's so it's stuck it sticks with you it's it's so nightmarish i feel like with movies now it kind of reflects a lot with technology is that people want things instantaneous oh yeah they cartoons want fast in the cuts. same way too like cartoons now are much faster than when we watch them so i feel like this type of long intro you know already people will be falling asleep saying hurry up with it that's, that's a good point now with audience really it could be that long that the details, though, like so the the, the spelling the of the spelling of pet cemetery. Right, that was actually re- it's real. There was a real pet cemetery in Maine. It was spelled by a person who was like a graffiti artist in that yeah. town, and they were like, "Well, we shouldn't have left it up to him to spelling because he fucked it up." But it's a real place, real spelling. Um, I was going to make mention when of that. When was the last time you guys were so happy you cartwheeled? Oh, <laughs> that's good. I think it was last summer actually. Maybe. Yeah. Uh... I was in a field. Barefoot. Back in the summer of 89. <laughs> so I was looking at I that bumper sticker on his car. Have you yeah. hugged an MD today? And I was like, well, I, we know he's a medical doctor, but I was thinking maybe it could be marijuana dealer. Choose your MD. Um, <laughs> so we're really what's going on is we're getting introduced medical to the family. Dispensary. Yeah. <laughs> introduced to the family. They this just is, pulled up to their new home. Th- this is how genuine Stephen King was to the screen adaptation. This is 20 minutes from his house. Uh, 
that he required that they film in Maine in this specific area because it was so specific to the story. And I think the reason it scared him so much is it was, you know, based on his own thoughts scared him about, like, that he went to that hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Um, with what happens after you die. So. Um, this is one of the best performances by Blaise Bedal. <laughs> she was also in Ghost Rider. Now, that tree that they're using... <laughs> with Nick Cage. Yeah. No, uh, Ghost Rider, the series oh, on PBS. Oh, Ghost okay. No. So not with Nick Cage. No, no. not... Oh, well, it'd be kind of weird if it were. It'd be awesome. But I was going to say, the tree that was used in this film, yeah. it was actually a tree they had to uproot and relocate on that property. So they wanted a tree to symbolize, you know, as part of the family. Um, but yeah, they eventually died. They just couldn't take care of it. But uh, that's where that tree came from. Wow. So we are also getting a lot of foreshadowing already in this film. Yeah. We've got Gage waving at the semi uh, with the uh, incredibly busy highway that runs and right through their diaper. perfect property. Um, it should be no surprise to anyone in this movie with the amount of foreshadowing that Blaze gets killed later. Yeah. Yeah. But still, even though you or know that it's Gage coming, gets killed. Yeah. Even though you know yeah. it's coming, it's still hard to take. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Upon first view, you don't really, you know, you're not, you don't know there was going to be a lot of but, oh, yeah, that spoiler, happening. Spoiler. Fuck you guys. If you're listening to a commentary, you should know this. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I think J- Judd's first mention is just right away of the road. It's danger. Damn it's drugs. it's yeah. It's history. Um, you know, just immediately introducing the this the sacredness, the ghost story. Basically. Fred Gwynn playing Judd, of course, as Stephen King. Uh, he based he based his portrayal of Judd off of Stephen King. That's pretty neat. They're only a, an inch. They're even only an inch different in height, and that yeah, their main accent is straight from him. Really? Yeah, it's pretty neat. No. Also, I did not realize that that means that Stephen King is six foot four. Yeah, he's oh, a tall he's a guy. guy. Even yeah. Del Midkiff, who plays Lewis, has got to be like six one, six two. They're all pretty tall gentlemen. Now, here's something interesting about um, Fred Gwynn is in order to get the part and to even give him uh, the script and role, Mary Lambert flew out here to Montana because he was filming a film here in Montana. Wow. Yeah, and oh, uh, some of it was shot in Bozeman, some of it was shot here in Missoula. Um, I'll look through that film credit a little bit later on, but yeah, I was like, damn, there's another Montana connection That's to this sweet. film. Yeah, yeah, I read that Fred Gwynn said he felt, fact right there. he felt he was born to play this role, and Mary Lambert said that's he was the only one she that yeah. he had in mind, first and only one in mind. Yeah. He said he embodied it, and he told her that this part was made for me. He said it was like putting on a pair of overalls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, he he gives a an iconic performance that's been I think you could quote, parodied throughout the years. I think you can quote every single fucking line of his in this movie, if only because of that goddamn accent. Down that road. <laughs> There's I only got... two people who really use that one, and we haven't seen her yet, but she's coming up soon. Lewis, I'll take you down that path. So speaking of the path, right? That path in this film really does. I mean, it leads to somewhere, of course, but in real life. It's just a, a barren trail. Yeah. <laughs> they said that the real location of the Pet Cemetery is like some half an hour away. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they are shooting in multiple locations, of course. Uh, they said it was really tricky trying to get the path of the, the cemetery uh, because of the lighting. They were using different fog effects and whatnot. But in the novel, it, it, I guess it explicitly states that it has to be like this glowing 
image leading yeah. you into the woods. You know, and and in the, in the novel, they they go up and over a hill. Like they, it's a, basically a, a big open hillside that leads up to the tree line. Like they're walking deep. They, you can see them walk into the woods for like a mile. Um, I never did read it. Yeah, I it's either. it's it's a brilliant book. I didn't read it until uh, two years ago, um, and it just it it took on a whole new meaning for me. You know, this story started in my mind as just a straightforward you know ghost story terror tale uh and then when i read it i would then i got that what you were talking about earlier that family element dealing with grief um and like the the extreme polarities of dealing with grief like feeling that it's something if you would have read 10 years ago before you had your family that you would have gotten a little something different out of it oh yeah absolutely um but i mean when you read Stephen King versus when you watch Stephen King, when you watch it, it, it feels like it, you know, it condenses everything, you know, just like any book. It takes all the layers out and kind of makes it into this plane. Um, and so they read a lot more surface level ghost story, scary tale. Whereas when you read it, like if you read something like it um, or, you know, that's like a coming of age tale. And yeah. this is a family, a family dealing with loss and grief in different ways and. All of his movies are, you know, these deep human stories. Why This is why they resonate so well. And they just have symbolic monsters that are sort of representative of our feelings and, um, you know, our demons. Oh, absolutely. Now, here is the other person I was mentioning who lays on that thick Maine accent. Oh, this is Missy, Missy Dandridge. <laughs> yeah. Now, she appeared in several episodes oh. of The X-Files, which I thought was really cool. She's um, on Edward Scissorhands, too. Yeah, she certainly is. Yeah. She's a good character actor. I don't know. She really is. She's not in the. She, this character's not in the book. She's like the Toby Huss she's a, of women. She's a combination of two characters. Yeah, like the, the Toby book. Huss of women. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could up, see that. Helps appear in there as characters. A good always. character actor. There's, yeah. You get a sense it's still them, but they do a good job pulling off that character for a short time. Okay. So the cinematography in this movie too is beautiful. This is what it gives you a lot of the uh, the feelings like directly that they want you to feel. There's a lot of point of view shots um, from um, strange angles, like very low angle or very high angle, giving you like the first time we saw a church was right from Gage's perspective and yeah, and vice versa, really. where they have him centered in the frame. And, and he looking. does use a lot of low shots, yeah. to give you yeah this certain view. And especially once we start to get into the more this, surreal this aspects is a of scene this. Right there, you just saw the tension between the husband and wife pop up for the first time. Like there is a tension, yeah, absolutely. A lot of the reason too is that she. This is kind of like foreshadowing the future too, but she doesn't like death in general, right? Right. So there's a scene that we're kind of in the midst of where. Judd Crandall's about to talk to Ellie about where they're at, the meaning of it, and, you know, that it's not a bad place where they're at. It's a place for rest, and this is where the dead talk. But if you watch the reaction of the mother, she doesn't like that talk at all. She doesn't cope well with death. Yeah. And he's also a doctor dealing with death. Exactly. Yeah, he's... Judd's way too nonchalant in her opinion about it. He's smoking and just... And kind of, you know, you could tell she's very tense. Do you think? Do you think that might be some of the attraction within their relationship? Is that she's a person? No, not opposites. She's a person that hates death, and he's a person that is actively trying to preserve from death. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He's Mister. He's Mister. Fix it, and Mm -hmm. she's like, she's she's also wanting to pretend that it's not there. She's trying to bury it and get away from it. He's bringing back the energy with them of death too. So he works around all day. 
little interesting bit of trivia there, that Spot reference we just saw. Yeah. So apparently Spot was the name of the dog on the monsters. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, oh. So the the dragon under the stairs. Yeah. So that was intentionally put in here. <laughs> you mentioned Stephen King earlier uh, about his daughter losing her cat. Right. Uh, I believe to a vehicle. It certainly was. Um, and it was kind of modeled after the road that they're living on in this film. Right. And so he just based that whole experience yeah. and a lot of the like direct lines. Oh yeah, uh, he said this is basically the conversation they had. Like, exactly, we called them up and like I think your cat's over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had, he, he had the neighbor. Uh, ex- exactly, he had all these things. Now and I, so I know what you're thinking. That's that's just what makes it such a good thing. No. It's just it's everything's being pulled. From he, here's another example too of the fact that Rachel's listening in on the conversation between her husband and her daughter about and death, hating it, absolutely hating it, and oh, she yeah. gets a very uh, emotional response to it as well. Now, because, you know, of course he's the father, he's what we've already talked about. He has to, to deal with the struggle between life and death on a daily basis. So he's trying to give her a conversation where there's a little bit more hope than just giving her more of a, uh, scientific, yeah. I guess, approach to it. Yeah. He's just introducing his faith, you know, um, I don't know. Well, he says there, you know, he sees some hope in things, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, we, he th- and he he also tells her that he thinks that life happens after death. Oh, absolutely. Because she, she asks, you know, does it go on? And he said, I believe it does. Yeah. And then, that, I mean, there's a lot of foreshadowing. But then, then he pause and hesitate a bit. Well, yeah, he he's uncertain how to really talk to his daughter about that. That's a subject that's kind of heavy to, you know, talk about with children in and general. He's still pretty general about it. Too, yeah, but. Oh, so it, this 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 isn't the conversation then. This is maybe the first time they mentioned mortality, but they do have another conversation, correct, about churches passing. Those, I think it's yeah. I mean, there's several yeah. conversations, but that was the very first one yeah. about she's she's asking what would happen oh, yeah. if her cat dies and what. Oh, okay, yeah. It's it's it's, like, it's, the, it's the it's the start. She, that she thinks the if God wants one, yeah. he can get his own. Right. Numbers. It's yeah. It's yeah. the Inquisition into death. Exactly. And yeah. Mom doesn't want those questions. So we're kind of starting to figure out that this family is more of a city type of folk moving to a rural place in Maine. So she's, when I say she, um, Ellie, she's uncomfortable about starting a new school. You know, it's not like Chicago. Do you think there's supposed to be any symbolism to this neutering conversation? Cutting his balls off? (laughs) Where'd you learn that? I was kind of of trying to see, figure out if that fit into the movie at all or not and... Maybe that was just me trying to put some meaning there, but that's Cut, a good point. Cutting cutting his balls off to make him not move anymore, to stop him from exploring. Uh, there maybe you go. maybe his balls should have been cut off so that he what? wouldn't go do what he goes and does. No, but he he's going there right now to get his balls cut off. That's why they're doing that. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no, but I mean, is it symbolic towards Lewis at all? Maybe he should be neutered so he wouldn't wander as far. <laughs> but man, the soil in men's hearts is stonier. <laughs> but it That's obviously didn't there. serve church well because church goes and dies anyway. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin. Oh, I was just pointing out there was that tension that popped up there a second ago. And yeah, the there is. And what it was is her willing to make false promises to make it sound like everything's going to be okay. Right, exactly. With him more reluctant. Not necessarily telling it scientifically, as you said, but at least trying to come to a good balance. Like, I need to tell the truth, but I need to put it in a manner that's okay. Exactly. Where it's not too overwhelming right. for Ellie. She just wants, she just wants 
to shelter her kids from adversity completely from, yeah. from anything you know the, any dark aspect of the world yeah i think this is kind of a comical bit too there is a little bit of humor to break up some of that tension yeah you know and he's going out there talking to missy and like thank you for introducing that colorful phrase into my daughter's vocabulary Oh, the nuts cut. She's like, did she say something like, uh, she's like, make no mention of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just more, it's it's like that, uh, yeah. that old school, crass. Yeah, uh, exactly. Kind of out in the woods folk, that they're the country folk that they're living with. They're like, oh yeah, death and I, I, I love and, some of the uh, little Gage's reactions and responses. Now, I will say this, I mean, he's like our age now, but... He has to be one of the cutest fucking kid actors ever graced oh, the screen. Absolutely. Oh, oh here's the gore. Oh, shot. gore. We got gore. We've got um, practical brain of Mr. Pascal. All right, now here's something interesting about this scene. Uh, we're going to see a Cujo reference with the rabies. Yeah, there's Cujo. This right was there. filmed actually at the City Hall in Elmsworth because the college that Stephen King was teaching at at the time, they didn't want them shooting there. So all of this was done at City Hall. They didn't want them filming there, yeah. Danny, not shooting. You will. Probably bad <laughs> choice of words. But we all know what we're talking about here. Yeah, as a, as a camera person these days, I have to, when I go into schools to film, I have to make sure I'm not saying, yeah, yeah. we'll just be shooting in this school. What they would call trigger words. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that anymore. You, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's a very... Here's a very very important part of the film right now and this is like what we're 10-15 minutes in maybe tops I don't even think we're that far in Um, Pascal's just first day on the job first day on the job someone dies and Lewis is about to be Lewis is about to be exposed to the supernatural for the first time great use of gore and effects practical effects in this film he just got spat in the face with blood about to tell him a very important line the soil of a man's heart is stonier than four friends and a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Um, and he knows his name and he shouldn't. Yes, he reveals that there's something at play here, supernatural perhaps. Perhaps, Danny. Well, perhaps. if you haven't seen it and you're listening to us. Please, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to us, like I tell you, watch it first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if not, I mean, get high with us and listen Finish to us. So yeah, I mean, and Pascal, the first time we saw him there, we uh, he didn't he didn't seem very friendly. You know, it no. doesn't seem like he's no. going to be a uh, a friend in this whole thing. It's that was a very scary scene. Exactly. Uh, here's something I think it's really interesting too, and you can kind of lose point. sight of. I'll get back to that. Is that the house itself is a character in this film? Yeah, it's a very important aspect of the family dynamic and how things change over the course of time too, and possibly what, um, you know, the secrets that we keep are inside, inside the house. And Pasco is back, and now we are in either uh, a nightmare or uh, in the reality. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere in between, perhaps. You had a good point about Pasco saying that. When you first see his presence, you're getting a sense of, this is not good. Yeah. Like you're feeling it now at ease. But as you watch as it goes on, personally, once again, spoiler alert, um, it flips my thoughts on it. You yeah. have more relief when you see him. Like, this is someone who's here to help you. Yeah. Yeah, he transforms. and you I, I like that use of misdirection, too. 
early on because you do like, who the fuck is this person? Yeah. And why is he here? Just because someone's got gore hanging off them doesn't mean they got bad intentions. Exactly. So would you follow Pascal? In my dream, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm dreaming. Exactly. He he's dreaming. Lewis is very, um, yeah... I don't know. So some of this so was impressionable. Shot, yeah, some of this was shot in a studio. Some of the, like this part where yeah. he's in the basement. This is actually in the basement of that house that we've seen. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe part of the reason that it's explained that he can see Pascal is because their souls are intertwined because of that death scene that we saw. But it, it seems to me that a doctor would have shit like that happen all often. the time yeah yeah often absolutely so so there's did pascal have the shining what <laughs> i guess he, i guess he could is have that or an explanation yeah, I mean, why a... why is pascal involved why is he the messenger for the for the pet cemetery um what is his connection yeah what's general? his connection yeah. and it must it, it it must be something like the shining because I don't think he knew. He knows what Lewis is going to do. So this this might be getting ahead to a little bit more of the the weird Thanks supernatural. See Justin. Bye, Justin. Of this movie. See you, Justin. Well, we'll miss you. We will miss you. <laughs> but it seems to me like you can't explain Pascal with the evil influence, the sour ground. Right. 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 Because it seems like it would be actively trying to keep him from happening. Right, exactly. No, he. I think. I think you make a really good point because why else would he be there if he didn't? If he didn't have the shining, you know, he right. know he knows well, something because he knows Stephen what, King loves his giant mythology. Right. He oh, know course, he yeah. knows what Lewis is going to do, and that's why he's well, trying to plant the seeds of reason. That's, that's a great point because we do know that in Stephen King, like you were saying, he has this universe yeah. where all these characters in his books they're related somehow, right? Because of Maine and right. Because of the shine, like you were referring to I mean, earlier, yeah. And there's, and then there's another character that has the shining. Ellie definitely. Oh, it certainly does. Definitely. Spoiler, she, yeah, yeah. She. So it's not that that wouldn't be. Unreasonable I like this to think. transition shot from the ground to the bed. I think that's a really oh. cool camera trick. And if you just if you think about this scene right here, it just really is unsettling. Drives the you, point well, home. Yeah, but just because you're he's laying down in the cemetery that's in the woods in the middle of night and deciding to go to sleep. He's just like, yeah. okay, no. Um, this has got to be a dream. I'm going to go to his sleep here. I'm like, and yeah. that just, oh, man. <laughs> two points. Just that imagery alone is just, ugh. Yeah, two points I'll make about this this kind of sequence that we're watching here is uh, during that time period, Del Midkiff, he was on, you know, like daytime soap operas, and he was known for being, you know, a handsome gentleman. They didn't want to distract audiences from him being, you know, having a nice physique, so they made him wear those scrubs. scrubs yeah, and two, Mary Lambert, talks about the use of mud and, you know, footprints and things. She's like, it's almost at this point either a trope or a cliche in horror films. Like, it's just one of those things that you see in oh, horror films. Oh, you're suddenly like, oh, shit. Yeah. My shit is dirty. And we see it later on in the film as well, so. But that's really effective and terrifying, too, though. It really is. It drives and the point home. Because that you're not, this is you're not real, sure as perhaps. a viewer if that was real or not. Yeah. You're like, oh, that could have been a Why does sequence. he toss the papers here? He, he wants to disconnect, but there's... There's a bond already. Um, and we get the passing this season. Something I wanted to mention, too, which we'll hear. There's an auditory cue later on, um, is the use of the Wendigo. Yep. They don't really talk about it much in this film, like at all. No, but I, I hear in the novel it's a 
I was going to ask you about figure. that because, yeah, so the... Since you read it. Yeah, so I guess they did film, um, they kept two sequences in the film that yeah, referenced the, the Wendigo, and then they, they cut, they actually shot a sequence okay. with the Wendigo, and they cut it, um, because it just wasn't playing into the, Narrative, the story, maybe. yeah, the yeah. story that they wanted. Um, basically, um, we're, I mean, we're done saying spoiler alert, Yeah, it's... It is because of the sour ground, and it makes perfect it's, sense. It's a, na- it's a native demon that has arrived um, because of the sour ground, and sort of just roams that area and does, frankly, a bad job of making sure that no one's abusing the ground anymore or coming into that ground. That's why Judd goes in there, and he's so terrified because he knows it's there. Ro- it's roaming around the forest looking, and. Yeah. There's um, in the book. There's even an act, in an interaction where Lewis is standing there, I think, getting ready to bury his wife, and the Wendigo comes up and just sort of stands over him and never really uh, it does it doesn't just just decide to destroy him, but keeps on walking. Yeah. Now the scene that we're at right now is Lewis just got the phone call from Judd, stating that Church is dead. Now this is a puppet. Um, anyhow, uh, in real life, we were talking about the fact that this was a real conversation that Stephen King had about his daughter's cat, Smokey, getting run over. Right. Now, there's also a little bit of a tell with the costume from Judd. If you look at him with his hood on, he's he's not a very welcoming sight, per se. I mean, it's almost... Uh, he's death. Yeah, he's a personification of that. Um, he doesn't seem... I mean, he seems like he has good intentions, but we find out later on that his intentions aren't so good. Well, and is it really his intentions, though, or is it the intentions of the place? You know, well, and I, yeah. and I think that uh, when I watched the movie originally, I thought that he was trying to do a good thing, and he made an accident. Um, but, I mean, the more you watch it, and especially in the book, it just paints a clear picture that he's an involuntary villain, that right. this thing is pulling people in. And it's a secret, right? And that's the thing about secrets. You want to tell it to someone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's once you, and I don't know what that would be symbolic of, as according, you know, in reference to like grief and and sadness and darkness. Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't know why he's the bringer of this. Basically, like a messenger in a way. Basically, yeah. He's he. What he's really saying to Lewis is like things don't have to. you don't have to follow the rules of this world anymore. Right, you know, that's a good point. This, there's like these earthly rules, and in this case, they're going up to a place that has these different spiritual rules. It's like a gateway they're crossing right? where the laws of humans don't really apply anymore. And if we were going to go like all um, the family system that we were talking about or the, the relationships and the feelings surrounding uh, death and mortality, this would be basically the path to denial, the path right. that mortality exists or has to exist and you're go ahead and you're going to go ahead and reject reality and climb the logs up to this mountaintop um to the to the micmac <laughs> the yeah. micmacs yeah um, uh, one i thing, do want to point out just a little trivia fact yeah, uh, yeah since we're almost at the micmac burial ground well, uh, they're credited with inventing the hockey stick Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, hey. <laughs> I mean, they are in New England. Uh, now, there is going to be here that one of the audio, audio cues for the Sasquatch. I mean, not Sasquatch. Uh, Sasquatch. Yeah, fucking Sasquatch. The Sasquatch. No, um, the Wendigo. Yeah, for the Wendigo, yeah. right? And they he's have, like, no, it's just a loon. 
and they keep going, right? But I mean, that's kind of the first one of the first signs that we get that there's something present in that wood. Yeah. So I've got a little personal story, if I might. I have a uh, on my license plate is the Loon Society. Oh, nice. Uh, specifically because of this movie, my wife and I used to always watch this movie, one of our staple movies. Um, and then one summer we went camping at a, a local lake and we started hearing loons. And I said, oh, look. Laura said, listen, that's loons. And she looks at me in disbelief and she said, Patrick, shut up. <laughs> and I was like, no, seriously, it's loons. And she's like, Patrick, what we're hearing are birds. And I'm like, yeah, loons are birds. What did you think they were? And she just starts laughing hysterically. And she's like, well, I thought they were just crazy people. <laughs> and I'm like, so in Pet Cemetery, when he says, you know, it's just a loon. He's you a just, crazy you just thought there was a crazy <laughs> person <laughs> in the forest? She's like, well, he looked kind of scared. <laughs> That's funny. So we have the license plate, the Loon Society, right? That's awesome. So there you go. All right. So a lot of this was shot in Acadia National Forest. The site that they're about to go up to was actually once a blueberry farm. Where the Indian ground was buried, or where the Indian burial grounds at. So all of this right was there. cleared out. This so is all they went. Made. They went up to the top of a mountain and yeah. they built this with bulldozers. Yeah, all those stones were whitewashed. There was a crew that actually had to do that. Now, one thing I like too about this is the use of mirroring in, in this film. So the Pet Cemetery and the Micmac burial ground are, are mirror images almost of each each other. There's a lot of concentric circles. Um, this one, Brad Greenquist, the guy who plays Pascal, was mentioning that. There's always something a little off about Stephen King, and even if you look at from the aerial shot of this Micmac burial ground, it, it's yeah. <laughs> I keep wanting to say that, but the the circles themselves aren't necessarily perfect. They're a little off. If yeah, you, look you can at see them. they're kind of cattywampus. Yeah, so that already alone lets you know there's something not right. Well, it's just like the spelling on cemetery. Exactly, there's, there's something little, a little off. It's they're human, you know. It's it's. I love the spark when he tries to fucking bubble sparks. <laughs> it just happened and just chink. Oh yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. It gives you you're like okay. That's he's, he's he's on a granite slab basically. Yeah. Uh, I like uh, some of Judd's lines in this too. Like on the way up, he's like, he's like, you keep telling me we're almost there. This time I mean it. <laughs> and he's like, he tells him he's like, I can't help you. This is something that you have to do. So the entire fucking ninety smoking cigarettes, chain smoking them. Well. <laughs> Poor so, Lewis is out there digging. So in the you want to know how bad that digging sucks? I've had to do digging Ugh. like that. Oh my god! I worked at uh, a hospital back in my hometown as maintenance for a summer, and we were going to replace some of the fencing, and I had to dig up some of the old posts and dig some new post holes, and uh, it's taken me forever to even get one. Like every single fucking time I would try to sink the shovel in and the post hole digger and stuff, I was hitting something, taking forever to get any little thing done. Uh, I think it ended up taking me probably close to two weeks. My boss, t- my boss told me after the first couple, he comes out there and he goes, "Oh yeah, so uh, way back in like the '50s, where the hospital was, used to be the airstrip. Oh. So it was packed like a fucking. It was just like thick, uh, heated cement. <laughs> it was just it, it, well, it was packed like a fucking landing strip. Oh my like god! You would, like how Jesus how." Tight you would pack that if you're landing a fucking airplane. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, here's a very critical point in the film where Judd Crandall is having that conversation with Lewis in the house and about what they just did, and he has the same refrain that Pascal had on his deathbed about the man's heart. The soil of a man's heart yeah, stonier. Exactly. And so this is the line that he's giving him, and he knows now, Lewis that is, that something's fucked. Yeah. Jud- this, this entire time, Judd's gone in between... 
calm and uneasy. He's never been confident about what the decisions he's making. That's why I, I say he's an, an involuntary villain because he's being pushed to do this, even though he knows there's no good consequence to come exactly. from it. Like he doesn't give you any sort of physical language that would say that this is a good thing he's doing. And he knows he even tells him, he's like, Hey, this is a secret. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, hope this, uh, Oh, well, this turns out good. I'm going to run away now and stare at your house for a little bit. Here's some of the early signs of Ellie's <laughs> shine. You know, she's yeah. she's talking about uh, church, and she knows something's going to happen, or she has this intuition. So I had a dream. Yeah. I guess it's not, not one of those Martin Luther King ones. <laughs> no. No, what did I say? I said, Ellie shines, but she's kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did talk about that there were t- twins in this film, and yeah. she's a part of the, the twins, Blaze and Bo, right? Now, here's a little spoiler for the future film, is that the twins in that film are actually, the boys are going to be playing Gage. Gage, and there's only one girl playing Ellie this time around. Uh, Mary Lambert drove home the point that she only wanted uh, Miko Hughes on the film because yeah. of his acting. She knew he got it. Like it's crazy for like because a, of his two year old acting or whatever. She's like he was hitting his mark. He was a willing <laughs> participant. He wasn't just you know going through the motions. Yeah, he, he understood be, the the process, which is incredible. It. That's yeah. incredible too. It's crazy. And she, they worked with the family. You know, oh. with every one of the actors, they wanted him to build that rapport and trust with them. Did they go into detail about how they did the syringe scene? No, but. I'll I'll talk about that in a little while, oh, when it comes up. Oh my god, because that's the only one I can't. Oh. Okay, so, oh. church is back. <laughs> we got to talk about the the use of practical effects there. So church is church is back, obviously demonic, um, only because they used amazing practical effects. They just used directional lighting to light to activate uh, his naturally reflective eyes. Uh, it's the tapetum lucidum, or <laughs> lucidum, I guess. Uh, it's part of the eye that reflects in dogs and cats. And so instead of, you know, going back and doing this post crazy weird work, they're just like, no, let's shine a weird flashlight on his eyes so they glow. What's, which is cool about that is they use this thing called light flux. Yeah. And what it's supposed to do is give like the effect of a, like a shutter on film, but they directed it outwards. And yeah, they caught the reflection of the cat's eyes in that. It was like shooting that light at the cat's eyes, and that's where they got that reflective property. They use a lot of mirrors in this film. Yeah, and they've got, like, what, six or seven cats I've heard church? anywhere between six to 15. depends on who you ask. But, but yeah, they, roughly. They were all trained to do a specific yeah. action. Oh. Or be as, you know. Right, because there was the hit assholes. There was the hissing cat. They were like, okay, put the hissing that cat That was out. in one take. <laughs> like, they said they got the cat up in the tree, and they went, and that was it. But you're right. Cats are hard to train. They... They have to be trainable, cool. though. They, I mean, you have to kind of coax them into doing yeah. things, but that's the reason why there were so many. Um, they are a breed of blue British short hair cats. Uh, uh, his name is Church for Winston Churchill. So there the you British go. blue nowadays probably being most famous for being the uh, I can has cheeseburger. I can has, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. That's hilarious. So uh, there's a. There's a picture of church somewhere earlier in the film, isn't there? Like, or a, pic- a picture of a, a church with Zelda? Mm, I don't know if it's quite yet. Okay. Yeah, but the, you're right, there is. And that's another part of foreshadowing. Uh, the conversation we're having now, because church has returned... Is the conversation from the margarine episode of... <laughs> oh, my oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Much like when we were talking about The Shining, here's another movie where... 
it's almost more stuck in my head the South Park parody. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, so season nine, episode nine, Margarine. Margarine. Here we go. Margarine Dream. <laughs> synopsis. Of, it's a short synopsis of that. Uh, the boys think that the girls can tell the future with a handheld device. Uh, and make Butters fake his death to infiltrate their sleepover to steal it. Uh, at which point, when he comes back, Mr. Stotch treats him <laughs> <laughs> like he came back in pets. Here's some cool trivia. So they use two different dogs for this scene. One behind the shadow of yeah. the sheets. Different type of dog. It's like a... Uh, shadow dog? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a form of a terrier. Uh, this dog was a little bit a more menacing. They said they couldn't get that dog to like be mean. So they had to use a different dog. But the kid who plays the young Judd is a local town kid, and his mom is too. But it took him nine times to say his line because he kept saying his name instead of the dog's name. <laughs> so he would come out, and it's like, Judd! <laughs> and Mary Lambert, she he, even the kid She's said like, this. Son of a... Yeah, the kid's like, she was pretty blunt with me. She's like, no, your name's Judd. The dog's name's Spot. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, so this is, that was the kind of the first like. It's <laughs> so funny. That was you know we didn't we weren't knowing that Judd was an involuntary villain sort of until that scene. This is the that was the first what the fuck Judd because you know he's like okay I'm gonna tell you the story about Spot who I also buried in the pet cemetery yeah and you know he came back demonic and you're like all right then why the fuck did you tell me to bury my cat there you asshole. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and he's very like, yes, yeah, that sucks, you know, like, of course that happened that way. And so it was, that's the first moment where we're like, okay, then hold on, why, why did Judd do that? Well, it's really funny because uh, when I was doing my watch through to take a couple notes, I wasn't thinking about the fact that the place was probably having an effect on him and that was probably involuntary. And at that part of the movie, my note is... Judd's kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, Judd? No, I said here, just like, you know, Judd's really an asshole, and but he's not. Again, he's not trying to be. Uh, some more, uh, some more cat eyes. Oh, here's something I wanted to mention about that scene. This yeah. is the third movie we've done, maybe fourth movie we've done that has a tub scene. Three of them are playing on that trope of the cloth over the face. The first one I wanted to say was Nightmare on Elm Street. I was going to say, headless. I really wanted Freddy's hands <laughs> to just come up and fucking. We've seen it in Headless. And then there was a tub scene in People Under the Stairs so as just, well. Just an, so, just an homage to it? Yeah, I don't know if it's becoming a horror movie trope now, but. Um, so here we go. We're, we're in the Bangor International Airport. This is where yeah. this is shot, right? The family's coming home from Chicago, and daddy's got a secret. <laughs> And Ellie knows exactly uh, what the secret is because she's shining again. But she has that, you know, she's still naive enough to believe that dad is is God and can kind of, you know. Protect her. Yeah, protect her. And he still is the truth, you know. He's got all the answers, even though she knows better. Yeah, and right here is where Ellie's showing a little bit more of the shine. Like, oh, yeah, I, 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 weird. I had a dream that you and Mr. Crandall just went up to the pet cemetery there and buried him. How'd I know about the pet cemetery? Oh, you know. I dropped it. I dropped it. <laughs> oh, but I guess you're right, Daddy. I love you. Look at the face on uh, little Gage there. <laughs> oh, my God. He is seriously the cutest kid I've ever seen in my life. Now, he's the kid from uh, Boys Have Penises, Girls Have Vaginas, Kindergarten Cop. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic scene there. I, I can't tell you how many times I watched that scene when I first seen it. You smell bad. Ooh, do she, they have cat shampoo? Again, Smelly now cat. she's willing to still believe her dad, but she's making another reference to his mm-hmm. dead body. She's like, 
All right, Jared smells like a rotting corpse. And mom's being practical about it. Yeah, we can do that, but it's expensive. <laughs> and dad's playing the part. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's on my shoulders. I'll fix it. That's what he's, that's his whole motto this entire time. Instead of just, you know, accepting reality, he's like, I'm going to fix it and I'm going to make it work and I'm going to preserve yeah. your attitudes and your happiness. I mean, we really do see that strong uh, father and I, daughter connection here. Oh, this is Missy. This uh, is a very what the fuck part of the movie. Yeah. She has cancer. She's... I was able to read that the first time. I was just like, holy shit, she just killed herself. Who was right. she? It's been about 40 no, minutes. This actress is playing the part. She talked about the fact that to get to that place, she talked to psychiatrists. And in order to like kind of go through with it, she thought of her mother because her mother apparently passed away of cancer. And uh, she said there was a funny thing. One of her friends, when this was screening in New York at the time, like in uh, Times Square, she's like, you know, the audience, they're a little bit more vocal. And she's like, you got to come out here because these kids right here and during your scene saying, jump, bitch. Oh <laughs> so gosh. people are a little bit more cynical. Yeah. But I was also thinking this is foreshadowing, too, really whether we realize it or not. Really obviously hung up on a harness there. Well, so. yeah, but. See, and what was that? Why do we sh- see the Pet Cemetery again Ooh, right there? With, with, yeah. With, uh, oh, Stephen King Stephen cameo. Because <laughs> that kind of feels like we're going to go and, and bury, the, bury well, the, the maid up there. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> so I feel like the only reason that, that that scene of her hanging got included in the movie was just to show that, you know, mortality was headed their way. First it started kind of with an outside influence, Pascal, right. and that's someone closer to the family, so... The, the realm of mortality is getting smaller, you know. It's closing in. So once again, mom is not taking part of the death process, right? She doesn't right. like death. No. Uh, this was shot in the Hope Cemetery. Or she doesn't like Stephen King. That too. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't like, that's she, a good she, point. She doesn't like Pastor King. Pasta. Yeah. Pastor King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was at the Hope Cemetery in Bangor, Maine. Uh, now, something interesting about this is that there was a, a correspondent for Fangoria magazine. Like, there was no horror writers on set and he lived like an hour away so he drove up during the filming of a lot of this there was apparently a lot of people who you know were on hand on set for the filming uh he said he was one of about 150 people during this and he actually wrote as a correspondent to fangoria so that was kind of neat that was pretty cool yeah uh with you referencing pasco again i thought okay it's another explanation for pasco being able to show up the normal pet cemetery, not the Micmac burial ground, <laughs> is the place where dead speak. So somebody was an asshole and buried Pascal. <laughs> it was probably that cemetery. girl who was like being super hysterical. Well, it, looked, it looked like he could have been, you know, someone who was bullied and yeah. you know, yeah. his grave was desecrated and hidden in the pet cemetery by bullies. Um, so this is the conversation I was yes. referencing. Yeah, yeah, this makes uh, more sense. So this is directly taken from Stephen King's experiences with his daughter. Uh, especially the line, "God can have a God can get his own cat." He remembers his, oh, God, his mom. That was the first one. That was the first one. Oh, this one is the... about Missy Dandridge. Oh, this is are you, oh this is about yeah. Missy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's still about death. I mean, okay, we're still referencing. But that. so, but there. This is when he explains yeah, that his his on. his belief in the afterlife. Yeah. Then yeah. Um, the first one, he's more or less just trying to comfort her with like, <clears throat> you know, you'll be in high school. He's going to be around for a long time. And now this is the one like you were referring but to. Like, so, life goes beyond. Yeah. Which, and by so, the way, 
fuck this movie for making me thinking about the fact that my pet's gonna die. I know, right? Well, everything's gonna die. I know, but still, still, everything that you love and care about. No, he's just right over there. He he's telling. He's like, yeah, life goes on. Don't worry. I definitely believe in it. And his the wife is now having to come to terms with her sister that we're gonna hear about. She is. We we can find out why she's so terrified of that prospect. She doesn't want uh, dead things to come back. She's she thinks she's been dead. repressing things. Well, she's been repressing things, but she also thinks that dead may be better. Yeah, I mean it's sometimes a very logical point. Dead is better sometimes. sometimes, just sometimes though, not all the time. Not all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, so. all the time. You know, that's when it's it. It's it. We gotta just we gotta deal with. It. We gotta accept that reality of more of more. Well, here's another thing about secrets too. Right? Just just like Coco. Okay, so. <laughs> Smile on me, Jesus. Spinal meningitis got me down. Uh, this is a poor affliction that is a real I disease. I love the gagging and just... But here's, here's where we come into the ethical... So uh, and the... They already, there we go. The very ethical... <laughs> Treatment of the of the daughter. She was treated like a you know a dirty a, secret, a dirty secret, yeah. and left for the daughter to take An care of. Eight year old daughter. Uh, yeah, eight year old. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the parents didn't want to accept the reality of the daughter that they had, and so they they put the burden on an eight year old child, and they guilt her, made her guilt trip. Yeah, they just with abused the her room. and psychologically ruined her for life. She is straight up psycho now. Manipulated. So the the girl who plays the young Rachel is another local actress. She talks about it in the documentary. Which I thought was kind of neat. She said she had no idea that they were filming a horror film until she went and seen it in the theater. And said that her dad like had to drink a whole bunch of Pipta Bismol and beer afterward because oh he got sick. But this is a gentleman that we talked about. Yeah, Zelda's played by a gentleman. By a young man. I think he was 18 at the time Andrew was. And they just couldn't get the look of a young girl. They wanted to try something different. So they were starting to cast for a lot of young men. Well, they said, Mary Lambert specifically said that she wanted... She wanted uh, Zelda to look terrifying. Oh, she definitely. wanted her to be uh, a horrific. There's a foreshadowing. Yeah, there's a foreshadowing. That's Zelda over there as the a pain. kid. Yeah. But she wanted her to look horrific, and she couldn't get that from a 13-year-old girl. She said, that wouldn't have sold. And so I'll find a really skinny young man to play a girl. And it, oh my God, it's It effective. works. It's fucking terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. Great. It has <laughs> ruined. It's ruined me. Oh, it's cemented. It's legacy in a and, lot of people's minds. And just the, you know, the, the haze they put over it too. Every time she goes into that memory and oh, it go, yeah. and they put that fog over yeah. everything. Yeah, a certain glow. I won't say glaze, but yeah, there yeah, is a fog. There's, there's a glow. It's an old, it's an old film kind of feeling. And now that, that glow did remind me of whenever they would, so I ended up having to watch a lot of soap operas with my mom and grandma. It's oh, very yes, soap opera. It, it, it reminded me like soap opera flashback. Oh, that's funny. God. That's a perfect way of looking at that. <laughs> I wonder if it's just the, if it's the age or if it's the actors they were using. <laughs> well, I did mention that Dale was doing a lot of yeah, that's soap what I'm operas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he got cast partly because he was in uh, Elvis and Me, like from the year prior to this. So he was known at the time for being kind of a a hunk or whatnot <laughs> yeah i mean he's definitely a hunk he's he's the <clears throat> prototypical uh in charge doctor dad you yeah. know like that's well, exactly. break me off some of that fred gwynn <clears throat> and <laughs> here uh we're enter our um enter another our, character enter a character the this the semi and this and be smirching she the memory of an awesome remote rocker she yeah, and I, I, I think it was logging trucks. Stephen King said in the book, but this is a gas, a gas yeah, vehicle. So big, big oil. 
big, big, big Earl, yeah, <laughs> Big Earl, Big Oil, coming to uh, just just destroy. I that, guess that truck driver. He said he had to wear an earpiece in order to you know sing the song because he couldn't remember it. Uh, it's a yeah, Ramon song. Yeah, so Sheena's a punk rocker for reference. So this, this idyllic family day. Yeah, this story is told through camera angles, camera shots. Yes, look how many cuts they do, and look at the the angles they use to sell this because. That's what's really effective. We get the we get the point of view of both Gage and this the truck is driver. Probably from his work on Maximum Overdrive, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just stock footage. Yeah. Um, now, apparently, they had to use a balloon to give the effect because it was not a windy day. <laughs> a red so balloon they, was they had, Pennywise involved. They, perhaps it could lend more to the shine. Oh, so I want it's, it's like a, oh, red, it's a kite. red kite, and he's, he's holding a red. Everything's red about yeah. it. It's he's calm. red is usually the presence of something evil or something sinister. Yeah, it's another foreshadowing technique. Yeah, I heard it was also to like ward out spirits. Though. I can it's see like that very as well. spiritual. All my doors in the house are painted red. Yeah, you know that's a good point because because of the uh, dichotomous nature. Of <laughs> I things. want them I mean, painted black. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's laughing as well. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> no, why would you turn your back on a little kid? When that, he, that's just twice they've done this now, where they yeah. just kind of turn their back and and I, you know, is this. Is this, um, an, an you know, voluntary or is this involuntary? Is uh, this, that's what I'm is, yeah, it's like a yeah. Is it the the force the, of the play. cemetery? Holding, I mean, it's got to be involuntary. Attention. It's like why has nobody built a fence? Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that that cemetery keeping it back because we see the cemetery the the force of. And here in a second, I, we see the inspiration for the Inner Sandman video. The camera shots, <laughs> camera shots. All right, so oh. the, right there was a camera trick that was talked about the use of mirrors a lot. Yeah. So in order to give that effect, they said that they would set up a mirror in front of uh, Miko Hughes, and, that, and the truck would be in the background, so all he had to do was stand in front to give it that. Yeah. They, they said they could zoom in or out, depending on how they wanted to frame that. Uh, but he was nowhere near in any danger, and they didn't want to use a stunt person for that this scene. This is an immediate, I, this is a very effective, uh, just immediate death scene, because where did, where does he go first? He just goes to birth. He's just like, yep. everything I created is has just been taken from me. And I feel like that's that's the se- oh. the, the second you get hit with tragic news and yeah. like tragedy, and it, it's like the immediately where you go is just like f- the floodgates of memories just open up. Yep. And not only that, but just the way that he was killed is, I mean that that's unspeakable. I thought it was a really you know I thought it was a tasteful choice uh, as for Mary Lambert to not show, you know, we don't see Gage's body. We just see his bloody shoe roll on the ground. And that, that's enough to tell us. He's like, you're not getting a crunched up bloody shoe. But where's the foot? Right, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He exactly. was dragged for a while. <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh. exactly. You're like, where is his body in that? Like, how did it knock his clothes off? And it's like, well, yeah, you're not alive after that. And this right here is clearly the moment where the dad's... He's he's it. He's almost catatonic at this point. Yeah, this is the this is the first this is the first part of grief. He's just in shock right now, unable to to help his daughter out, who's also reeling from death. Yeah, just tra- trying to keep his shit together. Just she's tragically carrying the the photo of those two around. And, I mean, there's so much guilt going on right now. Oh, uh, it's it's uh yeah, it's it's a hard scene to watch for sure. So, uh, Patrick, this movie dates back far in your life for you. How has your perception of the movie changed over the years as you are now a father? Oh, I mean, yeah. But twice over. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, t- it, it, take, it took a complete turn when once I had my daughter, uh, 
you know, um, I, I, I watched this movie a little bit and I was just like, you know, it made that possibility even more real. I mean, you know, you always think about the mortality and protecting your children and stuff. It's, it's, it's a constant, you know, animal reminder. Like you're looking out for warnings and you're checking your, your awareness. And you know, so it's, it's just, you know, your greatest fear, um, come to life. And I read this book actually while I was going through treatment with my daughter who had cancer and it just like, it's all about, you know, how you deal with things. And I, I felt like it was a really good perspective as far as like how to not deal with something, yeah. you know, because <laughs> he just, he, he goes into complete psychotic denial of reality, you know? Oh, punch. Yeah. Sorry. And this scene too, I mean, we're at the, the funeral scene with Gage and, uh, you're right. This is part of neither grief. one of the the people who are playing the characters of Lewis or Rachel had children at that time yeah. in their life, so they had to go into a whole different place to get these emotions. And uh, the actor who played Rachel's dad, he talked about like he literally like just kind of broke down on set while they were filming this, and yeah. he, over, he was overcome with emotion. And uh, executives kind of wanted this scene to be cut out, but Mary it, Lambert pushed for it to be in because it's because of its impact. It's one of the most disturbing scenes in the film when they knock his casket down. Yeah, that's and another he, and he, and he, bit he, of foreshadowing yeah. as well. Yeah, because they're, they're opening his casket back up. Yeah, you know, they're opening that door back up, and so yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, just to to sum up what kind of what Tyler asked me. It, it just means it means a lot more. Like it's taken on a lot more of a symbolic meaning, you know, rather than. Just, it still serves as a creepy, you know, yeah. straightforward ghost story, but it's also just, you know, really symbolic of um, dealing with tragedy and change and just the inevitable mortality and just kind of recognizing the things that they, you know, as they stand instead of, you know, uh, trying to put your own story on and yeah. uh, dance with dead bodies. Well, here's something I wanted to mention with some of her lines. This is probably one of the more poignant lines she gives. And she talks about, you know, if God wanted to bring them back, he would. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, like there there is a lot of foreshadowing. I'll keep bringing that up. But um, I do like that if, you don't, if you're not really paying attention, you, I mean, this movie pretty much tells you what's going to happen right. from the get-go. So, I mean, before, you know, Lewis didn't entertain the, you know, sugarcoating things. He gave more of a literal response. And this time is where he started to decide to entertain that. She's like, well, can I believe in something that's absolutely never going to happen? And he's like, yeah, yeah. sure. No, here, you, can, you can believe that he'll come back sometime. Whereas, you know, if your child loses a friend, you know, you oh, yeah. can't tell them that they're coming back. No. You no. know? Yeah. And that's he's not, so he's not dealing with death. He's not, he's not, he's, he's still, he's like, wait, maybe I can fix this. <laughs> And is that him or is that, you know, the force is it the force taking over? Is, you know? Well, that's kind of the thing, too. They've opened up this portal, this gateway, this this spirit world where it's very ominous. I mean, you're right. There's a a force at play that we can't see, of course, but a there's force, a, of course. A, a force, of course. But you're right. There's this a force of a force, of course, of course, a horse. A horse. Unless that force is a horse, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being is. There's something at play, and we keep seeing it, even though we're trying to, uh, the characters are trying to fight it, or trying to, you know, trying to make something of a situation where it's unresolvable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's guiding them to these things, because they have broken that, that gateway. 
But people, you know, that Mario. People can do that. They can deny the world, and they can write. They can create their own story, and they sit in their castle of psychosis. All right, here well, we go. Here's a, another cool story coming up with Judd. Right. Uh, I was gonna say the thing we keep pointing out all this foreshadowing that's happening in this movie. And I mean, it's really not even a spoiler that Gage dies in this movie. Yeah, we, we probably we probably could have put that in the synopsis, <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. really wouldn't have mattered. And it doesn't matter because when it comes down to it, this movie isn't about what happens; it's about how people deal with what happens. Exactly. That's that's absolutely true. So yeah, Judge is finally dealing with his uh, his actions. Yeah, he's starting to realize, like, oh shit. Um, he's actually, not only is he telling him a story of like how he knows somebody can come back from the dead, but he's pretty much coercing him into doing that action. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. I, I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. Because <laughs> I've been thinking the same thing. Because I was the one who introduced the idea to you in the first place. So I'm kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of a salesman for that pet cemetery. Oh my god. I still... I already mentioned the South Park episode, but I love that he basically just shows up out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere, oh, just man. to tell Mr. Stodge. And that's, I mean, that's just that's just a respect to how well he did in this film, you know? He left that impression on Trey Parker and Matt Stone, where they're like, yeah. this is, that is an amazing movie, and that's an amazing portrayal of that character. You know, he couldn't have done a better job. Yeah, no. I What's like- the bottom of the truth? Well, you know, sometimes here's a, bad is better. Yeah, sometimes bad is better. And so here's another local actor. Like, so there's a lot of these local actors in these flashback scenes, but he delivers a line that's going to come up soon. And the reason I want to bring that up is when uh, <laughs> Stephen, when Stephen King was teaching at the <laughs> University of Maine, he's he was teaching uh, a course on 19th century horror in British literature, and for some of those. Uh, I guess for that topic, he referenced a couple of books. One of them was uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, Dr. Uh, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and Frankenstein. Now, this is a kind of an indicator of that. Of Frankenstein. Yes, absolutely. And I was kind of curious, but before I even started looking at the documentary again, I was like, man, there's some, I feel like there's elements of Frankenstein in this. Uh, one of the lines this guy's about to say is, uh, love dead, hate living. Yeah. You know, and that's a direct line. From, from the Bride of Frankenstein, from wow. uh, Boris Korloff actually says that line. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And of course, the one of the biggest inspirations for Stephen King in this film was the monkey's paw tell. Oh. Because, you know, they're bringing back the dead. Mm-hmm. And the consequences it has. So what do you guys think? So none of the, I guess, the zombies, the returned dead, the whatever the fuck you want to call them. Reanimated. Yeah, the reanimated in the story are really back for a long time. What do you think would happen if they were just allowed to keep going? What if they don't get put down within the first like day that keeps happening to every single fucking one of them? It well, seems I mean, like. we don't we don't get to see a lot of a lot of their life, but it seems like it's it's hell bent on destruction. Um, like this, this is the longest I guess sh- sequence we see of of the the living dead. Yeah. Um, and he seems mostly like a zombie that's <laughs> burying random people's body parts in the yard and self-mutilating. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind of the part of the the Wendigo at play, too, is with the cannibalism aspect of it. Yeah. You know, this is a result of what you do with the dead or what happens when the dead come back. 
when the dad come back. But then Gage is a little bit more demonic rather than and zombie. And it's and it's hard to even say what's what's weird about Gage is it's Gage, but it's also Zelda, right? Um, Zelda, yeah, and absolutely. that's like it's it's the mom's fears come to life. <laughs> You know, when Gage comes back, it reminds me more of Pennywise than anything else that's happened so far in this movie. Yeah, there is a spirit of some sort on this evil entity that's inhabiting, you know, this personification of a person or yeah, cause she, what have she, you. she transforms. Oh, it certainly does. And now, she says she's going to come back. She tells Rachel she's going to come Here's back. another shining moment, of course. Uh, Ellie's revealing this to her grandfather. Now, they're going back to Chicago once again in Lewis... Should not have been left alone for the three or four days that he's going to be back in Maine. And I believe he suggested that they go. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking he's he sent them away because because he knows exactly yes. what he's going to do. He's Those now, wheels are already in motion. Yeah, he he's already locked in. He he, he asked. Knows. He asked. That was his. That was his his second question about the pet cemeteries. Has a human been buried there? You know, yeah. like right after he did the church thing, he was like, okay. Am well, I going to have to use this later? <laughs> wait, so, to be fair, though, if you were told about a pet cemetery, how quickly would you ask? It is. It is an intuitive question to ask. I would probably <laughs> that's ask. Kind of, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the follow-up question. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, how many people have been buried there? Yeah. You know. To date. To date. <laughs> to date. <laughs> like, oh, it's just forever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, here, we've... Uh, We've started our downward spiral, you know. We've just we're in a very vulnerable spot. Just new family, just lost a kid. How are we going to cope from this? I've got an idea. We're going into his eyes. I'm going to dig up his body. Yep. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? Yep. Exactly. No, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to slink down behind my station wagon. <laughs> uh, the last couple of films I have watched, like independently and for the podcast, have dealt with. Uh, digging up graves, body yeah. snatching is kind of weird. graves, yeah. It's a very... It's, I've taken place in cemeteries. That's also an incredibly unsettling thing. If you've been in a cemetery just thinking about... Digging up a dead going body. In, like, yeah, trespassing in there. Oh, also, if you were to dig up a grave, would you go in the middle of the afternoon with all your shovels? That's a good point. No. Yeah, oh, why, God, no. Why I would have kept them in the car until... Yeah, what is he... Yeah, I mean... That's just stupid. Yeah, what's... Why did they do that? That's not wanting not wanting to have to deal with showing him at night and setting up lighting that makes sense. Yeah. That doesn't pull you out. Look at Pascal. I love his makeup. Yeah, his makeup is on is point. On yeah, it's <laughs> prolific. They did a, such a fantastic job. Well that team was a father and son duo I was mentioning to Tyler in our uh Guts and Bolts is that the actress who plays Nancy on the Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Her husband was a part of the makeup crew, he and his dad. So they're responsible for most of the makeup in this film. Could uh, you say? Could you say that Pascal is kind of symbolic of sometimes people demonizing reason? Yeah, I like when like that. someone tells you, you know, a wall of death, ad- advice, you know, what to, what to do in your life, especially if they see you going down the wrong path. You're like, oh fuck you, you're right? A, no, absolutely, you're yeah, an exploded head. Uh, <laughs> I, I was well, going to say, before yeah. we're too far out of the, the graveyard, and we were talking about it a little bit, I've actually always been super comfortable in graveyards for the simple reason that the uh, trailer that I lived in up until the age of, like, four and a half, so still super early, but all my earliest memories, we lived, like, a hundred yards from the local graveyard. It was on a hill right up above our house. 
Wow. And so, like, most of my earliest memories are, like, hikes to the graveyard with my dad. I'm hanging out? Mm-hmm. Hanging out in the graveyard. It's Which is metal. why I now do a fucking horror podcast. Which is <laughs> metal, Tyler. Uh, not that I did it a whole lot, but there was a place in my hometown that's called Hell's Gate. And we used to go there because of not only the name, but, you know, oh, you go out there, you'll see a ghost. Yeah. Hell's yeah. Gate. Metal. You'll, get a, metal. You'll, you'll see a ghost or did someone you, getting ahead. Did you, did you picnic in the cemetery? I, uh, I didn't. No. But then, uh, and it's also close to the cemetery, uh, my mom worked... Uh, cleaning hotel rooms at the hotel that was supposedly the most haunted in town. Oh. Never saw anything. I was there more than yeah. any of the kids that said that they fucking snuck into that damn place. Nothing. Nothing. But it was... It, I will say that that creeped me out way more than Cemetery. Yeah. But that's just because old places are creepy sometimes. So, like, <laughs> you you were talking... I know, kind of getting back to the film with... Uh, Ellie and, and Pascal, yeah. he might have the shine as well. She's already kind of alluded to that, like, Pascal, how do I remember that? And now he's trying to help out Rachel, right? Yeah. So we see him more as a uh, a good ghost. Yeah. You know, a protector of sorts. And Rachel. Pascal but, the friendly ghost. And Rachel's, Rachel's listening. Discorporate. Does anybody know that? That term? That definition? No. Separate uh, the soul from the body? Yeah. A soulless body. Discorporated. It's dis, separate dis, dis. from the material world. Yeah, so, but she's listening. She's listening to reason. She's right. listening to she advice. She certainly is. She's catching on because she's not going through the same grief, perhaps, as her husband, who's trying to make these yeah, amends. She's she's sad. She's, uh, in the book, it's it's more it's made more apparent that she's kind of just on the off, Ooh, opposite, opposite side of the spectrum. She's just grief-stricken. So there's church. Right next to the next to Zelda, Zelda before as a child. her spinal meningitis. Yeah. Now, uh, Mary Lambert said that she likes you know painting. She's actually an artist herself, but she said during a certain time period in American art, they'd like to dress kids up in these adult you know clothing and yeah. make them look more adult. And she's like, that's part of the reason they use that is to give you this creepy feeling. Like, why is this kid look? It, you know, it's it's it is a fucked up painting. <laughs> you look it at is. it, super creepy. It does. I never. It does remind me of the uh, the foreshadowing of Django's outfit in Django Unchained. Yeah, it does. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, right now she knows what's going on. She's talking to Judd, and Judd's figuring out what the hell happened. Uh, apparently, Lois is not home. Not that Judd didn't already know. No, but this no. is. Uh, but he didn't know that he knew. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is cemented now. It's like Rachel, you don't you don't come back here now. It's, but now that she's getting involved, oh, shit, he's starting he knows, he's yeah. starting to feel a little bit more guilty, and he's like, "All right, Something like really bad." Okay, I I know that Lewis was gonna go dig up Gage and bury him, but I didn't think Rachel was gonna come back. Now something bad's gonna happen to her. I better go stop him. But then he doesn't. And so did he just sit there? Like he went there in the middle of the day. He did. He With went, all of his shit. Did he yeah. just sit there for like hours and have a good cry? Now, who was trying to light over the grave and not see it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we got a bad cop at play here. So this or, is all the location at just, play, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I ain't got time for this. fucking creepy as it is. And, you know... Everything that doesn't make sense in this movie, you can explain with. Oh, the force, yeah. yeah. The, the force, <laughs> yeah. The force, the other side point, you know. It's just like... And you can think how which I hard, don't mind. Yeah, no. exactly. Think how hard it's pulling right now as as he's digging up a grave. It's like, you know. Now the best thing to come up with a plan is is um, a six pack <laughs> and a pack of cigarettes. I'm gonna sit on the porch and I'm gonna watch that house. Another 
foreshadowing moment with second, these trucks. These trucks are always second. Louis comes home. I'm gonna he's tell him to not drink do what I did. Yeah, don't do what you just did. Don't do it. The only reason I didn't do it because I didn't have any kids. Yeah, we already know that his wife has passed. So this is what he says he has to undo it. Now right? his wife is around in the book, right? Yeah, for a bit. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. And then she dies. That's one of the first. That's one of the first deaths we're exposed to. I think that's kind of what uh, we talked about. Missy Dandridge. Yeah, character. I think it's a combination of his, yeah, his it was wife. More, it was more of a wholesome death, though. It wasn't a suicide. I yeah. don't know why they. I mean, it was director's Uh-oh. choice. And you find choice. out that Judd used to cheat on her with hookers. Yeah, at the truck Which stop. Which can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, Judd's such a sweet old man. But I mean, no, I guess that's just more of the secrets. Everybody gets. <laughs> everybody has a backstory in mm-hmm. Stephen King yeah. books. We get so much backstory in everybody's books, and they. If they all have, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a gray past, basically. Either leaning more more or less, you know. But everybody's got a textured past. Yeah, I, I do like uh, the way that Dale Lewis is playing his part. Like, uh, all, most of these people are selling their parts. Like, Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. Uh, you can, I think that's kind of what draws us in emotionally. Now, here's the spirit at play. That evil force. Okay, so a little bit of Patrick trivia. I had a VHS tape recorded from when I was a child, after, like probably oh, the fifth time I'd good. seen this, and I just recorded this sequence of the movie, starting with that candid shot in the hallway, uh, because it, it's it is uh, an encapsulated nightmare for me. And I we could I would oh, show this, this to my horrific. friends, and me and my friends would just watch this, and it was just an instant like just amount of terror that we'd have to go outside and just hang out for a while because we're like, that was way too much. There's actually... I love how this house starts to go downhill in this final... All this final (laughs) moment. She is just fucking terrifying. He, she... And we have a slow push on, you know, on her face. Well, this is uh, what you were kind of talking to about, like, how she and Gage are kind of one in the same. Yeah. Because she says right here, Gage and I... She's letting her know. And and look, oh, yeah, we're way up in her face. For letting us die. Oh, man, that is so good. He's so scary. He is so terrifying. He gave me fucking nightmares Absolutely. several times as a kid. Yeah, and that was the only sequence I had, that 30 seconds or whatever it is. But it's just such a beautiful piece because the it's sound horrifying. design the sound design in that, too. I think it's like a bunch of clocks going off or something. It's just disorienting and... Uh, it's awful. It's beautifully awful. Yeah, the sound design in this is another one of those examples of done just right. I mean, yeah. there's moments where he does it perfectly, and there's moments where you don't really need a whole lot of it. Exactly. You know? it, now, coming really up here soon, we are going to be getting a bit more Gage back again and seeing why he was such a fucking superb actor. <laughs> uh, and I was curious, now, Patrick, you've worked like with kids right like filming kids yeah we yeah how I, fucking I, hard is I, that I, yeah no you it would, it's crazy so i, I taught a, a film camp a film summer camp last summer uh through the roxy theater and shout out roxy yeah roxy bus yep. theater in missoula and we it. uh anyway no it was really great you would you'd be so surprised and blown away at how capable young young kids are like starting at uh you know not i think the youngest i worked with was like eight or nine years old and um yeah just depending on their 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 temperament and everything and their um willingness to learn i mean they would just lock in and 
know the basics in no time, you know, first, first go around and then start utilizing those things in a, you know, intuitive way. And like, yeah, I was, I was impressed every time. Um, and there was, there were some kids that just were like, yeah, years and years ahead of their time with their choices, which they, they just knew how to visually tell their story. But yeah, um, the, I mean, the younger you go, I love this shit. The harder it is to get kids to, uh, you know, do, do, a, do, a, do yeah, do a direction. Like yeah. my, da- <laughs> my daughter, you know, she'll cooperate with me for like five minutes max, <laughs> you know, like in the front of the green screen. She's four years old and I'll tell her to do a few things. And then after a while, she'll just start like messing with me, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, all right. Thanks, Maya. Go Who messes play. with you more? When you're trying to film your daughter or when you're trying to film us for Jafar. Oh, no. Jafar is way harder. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, here's, once again, the influence of Pascal influencing townspeople. Trying to set things in motion for Rachel to stop something he's, bad from happening. He's really like the, the small glimmer of hope that you have. The last little glimmer of hope you have for... Um, for this whole story to turn around. Yeah, he is. Doesn't the last tur- spoiler line. Yeah, spoiler alert. Doesn't oh. turn around. Does not turn around. I like this part, even though it's bad <laughs> kind of graphics. Yeah, yeah. But uh, apparently that was supposed to be the face of Judge Crandall coming up out of the quarry here. Now I think that's another foreshadowing uh, is, is it encased in, like, roots or something? Uh, I think it's cauliflower or broccoli. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it, there is something we didn't even present see, around We didn't them. even really see it. Roots? It bloody roots? So, it happened so fast. Oh, well, I mean, they use a rock quarry in it, up. so there's another connection to that as yeah. well. So. Um, in the book, they make it clear that it's like a three-hour hike or something, wow, or like a yeah. four-hour hike. It's like this huge... Daunting trek, trek yeah. up because this, this seems like 300 yards max. Yeah, no, no way, and that makes it even scarier because because <clears throat> he's always doing it at night. You know, he's yeah. just like, okay, I'm gonna go on this three hour hike through the mountain wilderness up to the top of this mountain to bury my kid. Now here's the evil force at play once again. Blown out tire. Rachel has to pull over. Like Pascal warning her once again. It's trying to stop you. And yeah, if if by this point you didn't think supernatural forces were at work, Pascal lays it out. It's trying to stop you. Yeah, at this point in the film, it's probably like, all right, bitch, look. <laughs> this is by the way, happening. there's now something what? going on. <laughs> now, if you pay close attention to the truck that's about to pick her up, it has three digits on the six, side. Six, six. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what that's symbolic of, but... Good fortune and luck. Maybe look it up. <laughs> Might be for our Christian listeners. They already know. <laughs> yeah, right after and this is actually the same forest where they filmed the Wizard of Oz and Willow. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually Willow was uh, edited uh, by the two editors on this film. That's why I brought that up as um, a joke. Lewis is back at the pet cemetery, and um, so the first time, you know, Judd refrained from telling him that his dog had turned to a zombie, uh, before burying church. But this time he was like, Hey, you know what? Pretty we did clear. it. We did, we did the human to still a zombie. Didn't quite And work Lewis out. was like, you know, whatever. Maybe this time it will. Zombies. No, I don't even think he thinks it's going to work. You know, he's just doing just it doing because 
That's all he knows. Is yeah. He's just trying to fix it. You know, he's just like, no, just you know, we'll just bury him. He's broken. He can't deal with I, it. Yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna deal with it. He's not. He's that's not dealing with it. Uh, this is actually Miko Hughes Gage's hands coming through. This was sh- shot on his own stage, by the way. This particular part. Fucking super just shredder. Behind, just behind it or something? Yeah, they built like that little mound and he was underneath, but they said that he was like getting dirt in his mouth, so they can only do it like once or twice. Oh, and he, when he gets done pushing his way from the they top said of the this... rubble, he's going to be played by Kevin Nash. <laughs> this and actually gonna... place right here where she's at, that uh, lobster shack, they said that was like where a lot of the crew would go to eat <laughs> in between sets and, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> that was kind of neat. And they call it Bob's Lobs. Bob's Lobs. <laughs> If you weren't sure this was Maine. Yeah, so Maine Lobster. Where did we, did we miss the numbers? I didn't see that. You'll see it. I mean, there's several times you'll see it on the side. Oh, there, 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 it, there, there, there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. Six, six, six. Sign of the devil, y'all. The beast. The beast. All right, so somebody just came home. The Door. night he came home. The night, yeah. <laughs> Gage. <laughs> so he's... Once again, I was talking about those muddy footprints. Here he goes. He just walked a long trek through the mountains to get here. And look who's with him. The dead cat. The dead cat. It's. I really kind of liked that this whole last sequence, like, church is basically always helping out Gage. Yeah. He's he's setting things in motion, too. So if if Zelda is Gage, then who is church? Spawn? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a quick answer. (laughs) Spot. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's just all the same thing. It's just all Pennywise. Yeah, just that evil force, whatever that might be. Oh, it's dark shit. So Sour Ground versus Pennywise. Who wins? Did you see how stacked It 2 is? Yeah, It 2 is fucking stacked. Stacked cast. Oh my god. Hopefully it's a good story. So well, not here... just that. Fucking Lithgow is going to be Judd. And Pet Cemetery. And Pet Cemetery. Well, yeah, How dope is that? That's that's pretty dope. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be really hard to beat that sleepy man. <laughs> <laughs> so Judd, uh, oh, involuntary fell, involuntarily fell, fell asleep, asleep with a cigarette. For in the, the entire that's hike. That's kind of a foreshadowing too. Yeah, exactly. Something for the, mad's for the entire hike, he just goes... The force just sets him out. And he's like, I, I love this too. Like, she wanted to create this kind of fairy tale-ish kind of interior for Judd's home, and uh, you get these like these little odd things throughout his, you know, throughout his house, and just the the play the with the kid. Version is so cool though. Oh, Coming man. up in like ten minutes. So yo, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, the fucked up nightmare yeah. version. That's like it's like Silent Hilly. It's the it's the mm-hmm. oh that I thought it looked. Um, Immediately, I was like, this is like shit I've ran into in video games. Or like the Upside Down or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, you know? you're right. Yeah, Silent Hill. It's just, it, he's basically opened the gates of hell, you know, or whatever. Yeah, that's one of these scenes, man. Okay, so we just experienced some technical difficulties. Because we some hot boys again. Uh, yeah, my computer decides to kind of be a piece of shit at times, especially whenever we have guests over. It's okay. It's the it's Wend- a jealous podcast. It's the Wendigo. I know. I think my computer is jealous of like me spending time with other people. Well, I just feel like this movie is so genuinely creepy and so genuinely dark it's that fitting. The, the force has jumped out of the fucking TV and stopped your computer from getting to where it wants to go. They're back. Uh, so we're sorry that this interrupted the flow of your movie, but we are about to restart. 
at the one hour, 20 minute, 49 second mark. There's an uh, Achilles heel in our frame uh, for a, reference. There's a little hand Puppet holding hand. a scalpel and an Achilles heel. There appears to be some surgery about to happen, boys. So we're going to go three, two, <laughs> one, play. <laughs> Cat eyes. Uh-oh. Jet eyes. Oh, got him. Oh, oh. slicing the tendon. Fuck that. Mm. Oh, fuck that so hard. Oh, I don't man. like that. I didn't like it the reveal. legend. Like, yeah. No, I like to, we, we talked a little bit about Mary Lambert not showing us Gage when he gets hit by the truck. So, so they put a little scar there just to let you know, Ooh. yeah, something happened. Oh, Gets that. the Chelsea grin. Yeah, <laughs> the Chelsea grin. Uh, here's something I wanted to mention, too, with this scene. Is that there was a prosthetic they put in his neck, and they told Gage that you know they're playing. He's like, "You're not really hurting them. You guys are just playing. You know, just nibble." So right there, that pull away is actually a doll, yeah. a puppet pulling oh. away. But the special effects good. makeup designer I was talking about, Lance, he said that when they did that scene, that Fred was going in those death throttles, <laughs> and they, and they said that he actually freaked out Miko. So maybe they didn't want to talk about that, <laughs> the cast. But anyhow, that's some interesting insight. Uh, yeah, you get to see the 666 again a little bit more plainly here. Thank you so much. The end of Pascal. Pascal takes, uh, well, not the end. No, not He gets one more yeah. nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does, he get, does get one more. Prophetic. He gets the Vader nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Into the fade, too. It's like you lose, Pascal. Ooh, he's not so sure. Do you, so does Pascal follow the rules of the road with that guy? You damn right he does. Does Pascal follow any rules, really? I mean, he's showing up. He's already dead. He doesn't know Technically, about the rules he should be there, but he's... But he's, he's buried in the pet cemetery by but, some asshole. Or he's got the shine, and he feels like he or needs both. to come out and comment on this and try and influence it. But everybody knows nature happens one way. That's right. Nature finds a way. <laughs> one way? Oh no! Should we bring you back when we do the fly, or Jurassic Park, <laughs> the the most poignant horror movie of our generation? Yeah, Jurassic Park, the new one. <laughs> I haven't seen the new one yet. Yeah, ooh. Uh, there's mm. Church. She's got some bloody paws. Church a boy or a girl? Winston, I Winston. guess so. It's a boy. Winston. Yeah, because they said they had to chop his nuts off. Oh right, yeah the the. Okay, so uh, things are still normal. So I want it to be nightmare mode. She's Almost. coming. She's coming into Judd's house. It's still not purgatory mode. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, good point. But uh, it's going to be for her. Oh, she's about to have another one of those infamous moments with a relative. Yeah, in the same sort of location. Too. Yeah, right here. The exact yeah. same kind of. Location. This is so scary in the corner upstairs. Yeah, is that taken from her house and? Because she has that yeah, other, oh, yeah. she has yeah. that other moment in Absolutely. in her house at home. It's followed her this whole time. Yeah, evil. And so I'm wondering if this is the same, like the same set or whatever. Oh, you know, I'll, yeah, I would imagine so. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, yeah. okay daddy. <laughs> so Rachel is going upstairs now. Mary Lambert stressed the point that. They liked that they chose those particular high heels for her because they were low cut. And it kind of drove home the point that, like, that's, for whatever reason, for women, it was like a, a for her, it was like a, a way to define her as the mom and as 
for you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how far it goes into it, but she liked the choice of those fucking high heels for whatever reason. Now, have we mentioned yet which music videos that Mary Lambert directed? We talked a little bit that she did Madonna, Madonna and some Janet Jackson, but it was Oop. just like a prayer and Material Girl. We're going to which are fantastic. We're going to reunion mode uh, and oh, look how oh fuck that that angle right there across the room, the blood high angle. She's gonna so run up good. and get right in the face. And we're looking, we're really imposed on, yeah, these, on Rachel. These are one of those scenes as a kid. It used to that fuck lighting, with me so that, bad. That low lighting, they have like yeah. a lamp right under her. Highlights to, it. To, to throw those shadows over her eyes, and it's terrifying. So it goes from this terrifying moment with her sister, right? Draws her back in with an image of Gage. Dressed up. So yeah, this Somehow is the even part more that's pulling terrifying. her in. It is. It really is. <laughs> dressed up the way that Zelda was dressed in up the in the painting. painting yeah. yeah. So that... We've already talked about that they're one and the same, like it's Zelda or that evil force inhabiting the body of Gage. And Even showing her that uh, he's going to kill her, holding a scalpel. I got something for you, Mommy. And she doesn't care because oh, she's just Gage. overtaken by her emotional Gage. reaction to yeah. Gage. He's back. Yeah. And uh, no, she's Killing using the tool of the life giver from before. Uh, <laughs> little baby Jack the Ripper? And that me- that memory of Gage getting killed. Oh, says, my fa- one of my favorite scenes, by the way. Yeah, right there. Lewis banking his head off. I wonder if he was meant to do that. No, I've always def- wondered that. He well, he definitely wasn't. Look at his uh, his eyes like watering. <laughs> <laughs> he looks fine. He's okay. I think he died there, and the rest of this is Jacob's ladder scenario. Very well, could be. So <laughs> here's some more neck. bloody. I mean, not bloody. Uh, muddy footprints here, right? Muddy, bloody. Muddy, it's, bloody. It's, I think it's a mixture of mud and blood Probably because is. he's killed two bloody. people. He's killed two people now. Uh-oh, something's missing. On the, the scalpel. scalpel. You know he keeps that scalpel oh, sharp. Oh, my God. You guys ever played with the scalpel? Uh, yeah, they, uh, Fucking sharp. they slice, man. Yeah. Yeah, they, they Like, no you joke. don't know you cut yourself until yeah. it's already bleeding. Yeah, exactly. It's like, am I on my period? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they are sharp. <laughs> 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 yeah i always use scalpels for different things. all right now here's something that uh, mary lambert talked to like he's got all these things to signify that gage is present but it's happy imagery of him not the imagery that he's about to discover yeah he's in complete denial yeah uh there's been a number of times throughout this entire podcast starting all the way back like the first time at the pet cemetery We've mentioned the cinematography of this movie and how it's emphasizing different points. And I think it's really interesting to note that <clears throat> the last time we did a commentary was also a Stephen King movie where the St- where the cinematography yeah. was extremely important, but in a completely different way. The last time we were having to look for a lot of symbolism, oh, man. symbolism yeah. in the cinematography, yeah. and this is more to highlight the story that the actors are telling. Yeah, a lot of emotion. So much emotion. Um, imposing emotion, always. Like, from a low angle, yeah. we're always looking at the, the parents from a from a low angle. Almost like from a kid's angle, in a, yeah, in a sense. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, now, in, where we're at in the film is... Erwin just called Lewis, let him know that Rachel's there, but he lied to his father-in-law. And, and now, Gage is calling Daddy. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. I want to play with you. First, I play with Judd. Now, I play with you. <laughs> and then I play with Mommy. <laughs> we had an awful good time. Yeah. <laughs> he is so good, man. 
Mika, I mean, you gotta think. That kid was he's just like, three. yeah, that's crazy. He's like, you son of a bitch. I mean, he says, what did you do? But he's thinking, you son of a bitch. He I, immediately goes and doses up a dose of kill drugs, and he's now mad. He's going in with rage because he's like, oh, man, you you killed my you killed my neighbor. You killed my wife. They said that they had a hard time getting that cat to come to the pork chop because cats typically don't like large chunks of meat. They prefer to have, like, little chunks. And so, cats typically don't like being told what to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, human. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the use, too, here of, of puppetry and the real cats. Uh, because there's some of it where it looks like, damn, this cat's fucking out oh, of it. That's so disgusting looking at that cat chewing on meat. Well, that's another it. use of the uh, the camera looking up. Yep. Now, in my watching last night, uh, since I don't have, like, kids to be as affected as much by that part of the movie i hated this once again this idea of like having to hope that your pet is dead because that's the best right now which i know is like the sort of thing like if you're if if your pet gets like an illness you might have to make that decision and so that's a good parallel too but it's not something that's fun to be reminded of and so for me this was like the most emotional part of the movie last night i was having a hard time yeah no, I'd imagine this is probably some more puppetry work there, animatronics. Just putting that, putting the cat down was the hardest for you? Yeah. Well, the idea of having, like, the fact, thinking about the fact, like, the best thing right now, the best thing always in this position yeah, is the for... alternative. To kill you, to accept that you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that this, and that it's best. You know, yeah, that, maybe exactly. that's a good point, too, is, is having... You know, some audiences that connect more to the animal aspect of it, and some audiences, of course, are more drawn into. Oh, here we go! Oh, yeah, now we're passing the children, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You're right. Another uh, outside force. The oh, I love that. uh, It's so good, man. They said they had to use like this foam and expand it, and then they can go back in and paint it up to give that effect. Because I was curious, like, I wonder what they used. Is this, like, moss and mold? Well, they said that they were going to use moss, but it would have cost, like, a fortune. Yeah, so like, most of like, it's just, like, this foam that expands. Yeah, I mean, but what it looks like. Oh, yeah, know, that's yeah. exactly what it looks like. like yeah, mold, decaying. slime. Nature decaying. Yeah. Yeah. It's bu- ooze. It's very, like, bubbly. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a bunch of moss. Yeah, and that right there is like a driving home point that Rachel's in the house and because there's her and already title. dead being yeah, the single the pool of bloody blood. shoe. Yeah, like that when takes, Gage originally yeah, died. Another foreshadowing, exactly. The kid taunting his daddy now. I love that line. No, I want to play with you. He's like, all right. Yeah. This is good. Come I love on. how this this window behind him that we see in a lot of different shots ends up being kind of multifunction because it seems really like decorative the first yeah, few times too. that you go into this house, but then as the house twists, it still just fits the motif. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And this isn't, you know, Lewis being reasonable about Gage. He's just fixing the situation again. He's just, you know, Going through the motions of, of, of fixing things, of trying to, to to patch things through action instead of actually thinking about anything, you know? Because he, he goes right around and buries Rachel in yeah. the pet cemetery. 
Because he hasn't learned anything throughout this whole thing. No, he's, he's, he's reacting more so than, like I said, taking the time to analyze yeah, it. Yeah, all he knows is like, he <gasps> actions uh, Gage is dangerous. He needs to be neutralized. You know? You're right. It, it is very um, robotic in a sense. Right. His you reason know? plays just a little bit of role. Uh-oh. Like His emotion comes in just a little bit where he, he cries for a second, but... Uh, here's just... the the use of one of the molds again we talked about uh, with Judd Crandall's face, which I thought was kind of neat. One of the uh, people who was working, like helping with set design and whatnot, she talked about the fact that this cop came in during the filming of that, just kind of looking around, mm-hmm. and saw that particular scene where like his you know his head's all fucked up, <laughs> and she's like he ran off and started retching. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, so it's believable enough. So that's Ooh. a mold right there. Yeah. Not one. really Fred, but yeah, it looks really good. Fuck, that looks they good. They hold on it for at least three seconds, long enough for you to really thoroughly Let examine it. Let it sink in. Yeah, and it looks it real. It holds up, yeah. It looks disgustingly real. Now, here's another big I wonder who has that mold in their house. Someone's had Oh, that. I bet you one of the Andersons. Yeah, They're someone pretty has fond of their work. Mold. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Now, here's another one of those foreshadowing moments I was talking about with uh, the attic about to pop open, the door. And right there, that's the Missy Dandridge she hung herself. Oh, she's there's, hung. A, there's a puppet right there. That we yeah, saw. that's definitely a puppet on a line. There's a robot and a puppet. Uh, this is Gage what... has Chucky strength. Yeah, yeah. he does. <laughs> Del Midkiff uh, was talking about the fact that he called some of this Star Trek shooting. He's like, he knew how the scene needed to be because he was working with a puppet and with Gage. Yeah. So there were certain scenes he had to sell it with the puppet and others, you know, they were playing as what they were telling each other when you actually see cuts of Miko in. Yeah, it's really... really but he's got some handy knife work, man. It's it's really tasteful cutting and, it is. Uh, and shot work uh, because you're just, you know, half-second to two-second shots that are just showing close-up body parts. Driving home the point that he's there. Yeah, that, that they're fighting, yeah. that they're interacting. Yeah, exactly. But you can't really get... Like that if you, it was all puppet, it would mean it would have took you out of the scene. Yeah, and it's not like one person attacking another. It's like they're both wrestling, so you have yeah, that exactly. constant motion that you can't focus on anything. Well, and if you pull away from that so that you can focus on it, it suddenly doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. So with a grown just, man fighting a child like that. Right. And so it's just, yeah, exactly. So you just show like little elements of it. Here's that trick I was talking about. Hollywood trick. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It looks good though. He did. Yeah, he sold he it. Great he, face. He sold it. He you cried. feel bad for He's him. Like, ah, screaming about it. Uh, I was listening to a little bit of a you know Mary Lambert's commentary and the documentary the accompaniment oh, to this. Look at that face. He's so sad. Yeah, uh, one of the guys is talking about you know shooting these scenes and how well it you know he pulls it off. But um, there's another guy. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. Yeah. But there's another guy who was talking about one of the hardest things that Lewis has to do in this film is kill his son. Yeah. You know, it's like you're right. Sometimes that is better because there was an outside influence force. You know, that killed him the first time. Now he has to do it, <laughs> which yeah. is you know, I you know, I guess you can look at it from different points of view. You know, right. is it more harrowing knowing that you have to do that to end this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or at the actually the first the problem thing being now that he's already broken though. If he yeah. would have accepted it the first time, maybe the rest of this wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah, no, obviously the rest of it's, it's harder to do what you do the first time and accept it. You know, yeah, absolutely. He's going, he's going through a psychotic amount of effort to keep something alive, so, which yeah, can't intact. be preserved. Exactly. You know, nothing. It can't. Nothing's sacred totally like that. With that. It's everything's mortal. So, uh, but so how did how did Rachel get up in the attic? Oh, baby strength. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just... Fucking Chucky strength. He just tossed her up there? Yeah. Oh, I would have liked to there's, see There's that. a lot of reasons why I wish he would have seen Hereditary, because there's a lot of parallels yeah, there that are. you can draw from that film. I'll get yeah. to it, guys. I'll get to it. I um, know. And then, I don't want to say anything, because it'd be too much of a spoiler, but... Yeah, there's there's an outside so, force at play. So Lewis, you know, he had that moment with Gage, he, and he thought about reason, and mm-hmm. he he cried, and he you know he processed all of what Tyler said, but then he just uh, let that go, and again is represented through Pascal yeah. trying to tell him, look, didn't work the first time, didn't work what the other hundred times. It, yeah, you, you can't rationalize you. this. Yeah, I can't rationalize this, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing it anyway. Because I'm fucking delusional. <laughs> yeah. And he's absolutely delusional. He's going to walk four hours. Well, not only that. Through but... the forest with his wife up a mountain. And he's yeah. going to go bury her. I mean, this is a good way of looking at stages of grief, of course. Um, as far as, like, uh, a metaphor for it. But also, um, the fact, too, is, like, this is almost like a full embodiment of what that darkness can do. Yeah. You know? It's like, nothing logically would drive this man to do this again. But he's being so influenced, not only by grief, but by that force. Yeah, exactly. Um, what I was wanting to bring up, too, with the house, Judd's house is burning down. Um, I saw a lot of parallels between that, of course, and the, uh, ten, was it Baderman kid? Where they yeah. burned down that house to get rid of the abomination. It's kind of what he's doing here. Yeah. Uh, but not only that, but that house itself was built on a facade. There was actually a small cottage house behind it. So the whole exterior, all, even the porch, all of it was built you know, and uh, they had to build like this asbestos barrier between it was just like sheetrock and asbestos to keep that small cottage from burning down. But I said there was a lot of people who came out to watch that get filmed. Burn. Yeah, which I thought was kind of neat. But yeah, all of that stuff was almost all of this film was actually shot in sequence. That's awesome. It's seldom they can do that. Oh, and we're almost up to we're well. I mean, we're at the end now, but pretty much. Th- uh, well, say so here's something that's neat. A little trivia here. There was three endings that they had in mind one of them was this with the cards um rachel coming back and putting her hand on his shoulder cutting to black and him screaming that was one of them the other one was and the studio pushed for what we got yeah right? exactly so that's what we get if that's the third one the other one is kind of similar to what i was saying earlier that she comes in like she's doing now um they get a phone call from ellie she's wanting to talk to dad she does and then she talks to rachel and Rachel gives her like her normal voice, assuring her everything's all right. And then when she hangs up, she smiles, and then you get to see like the morbidity and the decay of her face. And then it cuts to black, and you hear the scream. So that was the three different endings. So there's no one to bring Lewis back, though. No, no good. There's no good in Lewis. This is his demise. There's no yeah. There's no one to, that that can redeem him in the pet cemetery no. and bring him into zombie form. It's just it for him. It's, it's her to survive on her own after this. Uh, they actually had to reshoot this too because of the way they initially ended it. And uh, yeah, that makeup effects, they had to do that for Denise. And there we go. That's the end of it, Pet Cemetery. The song with Ramones, the connection there was Pet Mary Cemetery. Lambert. Yeah, because of her work in the music industry, was friends with the Ramones. And Stephen King was a big fan. And she approached them. And apparently Stephen King did as well, gave them the script. They read a little bit. Um, Marky Ramon said that Dee Dee wrote it in like 40 minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then they had dinner and the rest was history. So that was kind of neat. But, That's sweet. Um, yeah, man, this film as a whole, there's some really cool you know, talking points. It's one of those, you know, for some of us growing up, it was 
just one that struck a chord, man. Spe- specifically, Zelda. I mean, yeah. growing up, Zelda was like the most horrifying yeah, bits for me in yeah. this fucking film. Aesthetically, they yeah, aesthetically horrifying, and sonically, they captured yeah, captured a nightmare. And then you know you when you learn much later, that, that's, that's just dude and makeup. You're like, oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> it is funny. It's, it's funny, but it's still so creepy good. as fuck. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 stuff holds up. That's what throughout time. Oh, absolutely. It's you know it all that looks dated. You know, is just like the the quality of the of the film, but it's. The story and the acting and the cinematography, they all hold up. They tell a great story. Fucking um, creepy. So the upcoming television series, well, Hulu original series, Castle Rock, oh, man. is basically supposed to be just like a conglomeration of shit from Stephen King stories. What do you think they might end up pulling from Pet Cemetery? Uh, hopefully the cemetery itself. Yeah, like the Micmac cool. burial ground. Yeah, absolutely. I would hope. Maybe that's kind of like the poor or some sort all of, of it. comparable genius loci. The other, yeah. the other side, the uh, the dark energy, the Wendigo, perhaps. Uh, have you watched the trailer for that yet, Patrick? Probably the busy highway. Yeah, that's you for Castle Rock. Have you no. watched the trailer for that yet? What? No. Oh, we're going to show you that after we're, we hit stop on this recording. Yeah. So um, we're going to make you watch it. There's only a few we'll other bits I could you. share while the credits are running. <laughs> I suppose it's some of like the filming locations we already talked about. The house that they shot in that was uh, in Ellsworth, and there was an old couple that owned it in the house I talked about earlier that was built in the facade. Uh, so they own that property. Uh, I've already talked about the armory, which I thought was kind of neat. That's where a lot of those interior shots were made. Even the interior of that old people's house that was the Creed house that was modeled after. Whoever built the the interiors for all of that, like they said, they stepped into it, the old couple, and it was like that's our fucking home. They said because New England homes have like really short ceilings, yeah. it's hard to shoot inside of those spaces. Yeah. So that's why they had to build their interiors. So that, that was kind the of studios. neat. Yeah, that makes it a lot more convenient to shoot. Yeah. So um, for those who are kind of curious about the documentary that unearthed and untold Pet Cemetery, it was two filmmakers who happened to be fans of this film, and they wanted to make a pilgrimage to a lot of these sites and so they did and they said they felt or they found themselves revisiting them over and over and over again and they're like why don't we just film a documentary so yeah there's some really cool insight uh from the cast and crew it shows you a lot of locations they talked to a lot of the people who lived in maine and how big of a deal it was for maine kind of alluded a little bit earlier that when he sold the rights stephen king that is to get this turned into a film a part of it was it had to be shot in maine because they were like, why are all of his Stephen King's films being shot in L.A. and other places? Why can't we bring the money home? And yeah. so they did. And, you know, they said that he's a very approachable person. He's helped build up so many different towns. Um, so, I mean, he's a very prominent figure in that, that location. And uh, that was he's true of, to form. That was one of his requirements for the screenplay to be sold. Absolutely. Is that it was filmed in Maine. Yeah. And what I thought was cool is uh, with the Laurel Entertainment or Laurel Productions, uh, I talked about that. Uh, producer Rubenstein, he and Romero had a, they actually formed that company because they had shot a bunch of films together. I think Creep Show was one of them that they worked on, and there was a, another film or two, but I mentioned Romero was slated to direct this film, and I was kind of curious, like, how, what direction he would have took, or, you know, like, what his visual aspect would have been. It, it's kind of curious because, you know, the film is what it is now because of Mary Lambert. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. uh, she, did. she did a fantastic job for Absolutely. not only her first horror film, but her second film ever. Yeah. Going from shooting music videos to 
making movies like this. But, I mean, she actually directed the sequel, and she's still doing stuff, you know, TV-wise, so she's still prominent. That's awesome. I've never seen the sequel. I've heard it's not good. It's not great. I, <laughs> I enjoy it. If you like Edward Furlong. Yeah. Oh, well, I like me some Eddie Furlong. I'm going to have to do it again. I mean, it's an early 90s film. Tyler, I totally think that's right up your alley, actually. Okay. It's more action-packed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, grown up, I liked it. I liked Edward I Furlong feel like, grown up. Like, I don't it's like not it that much, but I feel like you're going to come film. to me and you're going to tell me, Pet Cemetery is a new, Pet Cemetery 2 is the new Pet Cemetery 1 <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I'm never going to watch Pet Cemetery 1 again because I saw Pet Cemetery 2, Patrick. And I'm like, okay, Tyler. A little bit of trivia with Pet Cemetery 2 is Anthony Edwards is in it as well from ER. Oh. And See, she, we got the ER poll now. There we go. Now it's pulling on Tyler's emotions. This isn't fair. Goose. He actually plays a veterinarian. What? Yeah. So oh see, now we're pulling Can't on pull the, you in. Pulling on the ca- we're pulling on the cat's tail. Is his name Dr. Green? Um, does, he, does he die of brain cancer? He might. But there is does that he guy get shot down in a from Shawshank Redemption, that dick. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. I always forget his fucking name. The it's guard. Clarence something. Clarence, the guard that beats the guy into oblivion. Dick. Oh. And leader of the guards. Fuck. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Shawshank. That's what you're talking about. More Stephen King. Yeah, he know. He know. Clarence Brown. Clarence Brown. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. which I highly recommend an HBO show if you uh, want to be disappointed a little bit because it never got a resolve. <laughs> but if you want to enjoy like a great story, cinema, you know, HBO series Carnival. He was in that. Clarence Brown that. for reference. Yeah, love yeah. it. Just hate you're, that it never if you're ended. In the mood to be disappointed that there was no resolve. <laughs> well, then get ready to live because life is disappointment. That's right. That's right. Much like that. God, we've film. we've gathered you guys for a long time already today. But we so I'm going to skip all my usual shit and just say go to our website www.friedsquirms.com and it has links to like any other way that you might want to follow yeah, us. You can contact us on there. So if there's other films you want to hear us do like this, or if there's films you want to hear us blabber about, hit us up. Have we figured out what we're doing next week? I think we might have an idea, but if not, we'll uh, sit here and brainstorm. Pretty cool. sure you, the, you guys the, you guys said Hunger Games, right? <laughs> you might be closer than you think on that one. You actually oh. might be. <laughs> oh. You might be closer than you oh. think. Um, I know. I have the shining, guys. Oh, shit. I shine. I shine. Oh. We all shine on. I flash. <laughs> <laughs> he is a flasher. Anyway, Flashy. for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. I'm precious. <laughs> You're precious. 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 Fried squirms. Out. Out. <laughs> I'm precious. I'm precious. <laughs>